gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Lawrence. From the Ancient One studio, this is the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer Podcast. Welcome to the Cube. (laughs) Hello everyone and welcome to episode 110 of the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer Podcast. I am your host, Dan. And I'm Brendan. Brendan, we got a whole bunch of stuffs on the menu today. Yeah, we got an event that you went to, RockCon, mm-hmm. an event I went to, One Day or Rubicon. We've got the Battle Scroll to talk about, and we're going to talk about the new Sons of Bayam at Battle Tome. Absolutely, so, yep. Uh, a lot of kind of smaller things, a, a potpourri episode, <laughs> if you will. Yes. Yeah, lots of things for everybody. This is where I definitely <laughs> would make sure that we say, uh, the whole show is time-stamped, so go to the things that you want to hear Absolutely, about. Absolutely, yep. And we will break it down for you, as we always do. So I think that's it be a a busy episode not a terribly long one but something that i think as you just said is a little bit for everybody Mm -hmm. so let's move right on to whispers from the war hello my name is inigo montoya you killed my father prepare to die since last show, so two weeks ago or so significant hobby for you i mean no i don't i don't think i've even assembled a model right you know because our hobby nights have been Dice Throne. Which yeah, we'll, we're going to talk. We'll talk about in a little bit. <laughs> yes. Yeah, like it just models yeah. have been showing up. I think that's the <laughs> version of my hobby. I've I got three Slaves of Darkness chariots. That box that came out. Oh yeah, um, those it, are very nice. You know, yeah, it's three chariots for sixty five dollars or something like Nothing. that. It, Dumb. That is really good. So Amazon, thanks Nick True for pointing me in the direction of, of one of those. <laughs> okay. Got me some of those because we'll talk about it in. Probably the next episode. Yeah. Or the episode after that. Right. When we talk Slaves of Darkness. Yep. Chariots are good in this book. Yes. <laughs> got those. I've got a Teclas on the way. I've got a Slaves of Darkness box on the way. The collecting part of the hobby has been real solid. <laughs> Sounds like we need to stock up on glue there for you, man. That's that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. That's all good stuff. For me, I've essentially finished my Sylvanath army that I'm trying to build an Oakenbrow list. So I built a Tree Lord Ancient, a Tree Lord, two units. Very different Sylvanath list. Yeah. Two units of Tree Revs and then a Battle Mage, a Gur Battle Mage uh, to use with them. And the only thing I've got left is I've got one more Ancient and a Branch Witch coming to finish up. But everything's primed, ready to go. I saw a really, really cool painting uh, instruction on using contrasts on tree revs. So I'm going to make an attempt to use contrast to do something with that and some really cool stuff so we'll see how it turns out but that's been it for me and again i'm looking forward to getting those last two things and then really started painting this list in earnest we'll talk about it obviously as time goes on what i've got planned for it so that's hobby releases we have ogres and votan so ogre maw tribes for sigmar and votan is all dropped on the 40k side we have a 40k guard box so if you're interested or Astra Militarum, if you want to use the appropriate oh, the nomenclature. Yes. Yeah. And then we got the fun little golf rocker thing. It, they always throw in stuff like, which is great. You know, it gives you a little model to paint. You can do something with it, put it on a shelf or something. Very cool. And of course, we both have on the way in a truck somewhere our Slaves to Darkness boxes, which is very cool. I'm looking forward to that. Look, it's cool that the book's in it, so we don't have to worry about ordering the book or anything. Mm-hmm. 
all of it looks great in there. I don't think there's a model in there that I don't want to build and paint somehow. I'll figure it out sometime. And we'll worry about the whole... The right army, quantity of everything next. Army limit of... We'll worry about that later. The reinforcement... Yeah, the, yeah, your in-house army limit. Cindy's notably not in the room, Dan, so... Alrighty. Anyway, let's talk about games played a little bit. Dan and Brendan, other game... Games normally we say, but it's in this case singular because it's game. And it's funny because the last two hobby nights, this is hobby night quote. We have not played kind of hobby. We have not played Sigmar hobby stuff. We Sigmar heresy, none of that. No. So two weeks ago, and even before that, yes. so like back in May, Dave and I were coming back from Vault Wars, mm-hmm. and we were stopping off at my best friend's house in St. Louis for mm-hmm. the night. You know, after dinner, she's like, well, you know, I have this board game that's really cool. This game is called Dice Throne, and we had a great time. As soon as I got home, I bought the first season, all yeah. eight characters. It's like a $100 box for Warhammer, practically a deal. Yeah. And you knew at least you were going to play it with Dave. You didn't know about anybody else, but... There were a couple of friends that like I knew would really enjoy this game. Mm-hmm. Like I imagined you would quite like it. Mm-hmm. I know I enjoyed playing it with Dave. Ty was another person that I think is really going to enjoy this game. So Ty, if you're listening... Show up to Hobby Night, you let me know, we'll bring Dice Throne. But the way that this game works is, you know, there are characters. Mm-hmm. And the easiest and shortest way I can explain it, it is a combination of Yahtzee, a deck builder, and role-playing. Yep. Where, you know, you have these meta-currencies and things like that where you're doing battle with the other person's character sheets with Yahtzee-style dice rolling. And, mm-hmm. and you're trying to find different combinations to do different things. And everybody's character is fundamentally different from the other. That's the one thing. And by the way, listeners, I love this game. After the first time I played it with Brendan and Dave stopped in. So the three of us were playing and going, this is really, really cool. Like, so I looked at a video before and there was one character, it's the gunslinger. And I'm like, I want to play this character. So Brennan had gotten season one, but it wasn't enough for me. So I went out and bought the, the, the dual box with the gunslinger and the samurai. One of the things I think is so cool is just the design of the packaging. Like it is so mobile and so easy to set up, so easy to put away. It takes like 30 seconds. Yeah. It, to, to get the game set up and boom. and tear down is just as fast. Like yeah. it's little tiny compact boxes, about the size of a book, a long book kind of. Man. Just great. The mechanics are so cool. And as you said, Brendan, every one of these characters is so unique. They have their own meta currency. There is currency. one common currency, oh, right, which okay. is the combat points. Oh, right. Yep. That's the currency that you spend to do different actions, to spend different cards, to upgrade different abilities. Yep. You can steal them from each other. Yeah, which is cool. Each character interacts with their combat points a little bit differently. The first character you played had a very heavy reliance on their combat points. Oh, yeah. Which are abbreviated CPs, so all of us were saying command points the whole time. <laughs> And, but everybody interacts with them, you know, just a little bit differently. You yep. know, your that first character you had had access to being able to churn through their cards very quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, the the offensive ability wasn't very high. Your character had no healing, mm-hmm. where my character had you know, oh. that I was playing doesn't do a lot of damage. But is very resilient, has a lot of healing, has a very patient meta currency. It's basically an ent, is what it was. Right. Yeah. Dave was playing a paladin, which needed lots of power ups. And then once Dave got to the late game, you know, that we were playing, oh, yeah. He was smashing, man. He could heal, he could do damage, he could prevent damage, like he could get so many combat points. Like, super cool. We played a bunch of different characters as we were, you know, gearing everything up. 
in the first box, you know, there's a barbarian, there's an archer, there's a monk, there's a ninja, there's a sorcerer. Later that weekend, I bought season two, so now I'm going to have you know the 16 characters for us to be yeah. able to pull from. And then this past hobby night got hijacked again because Dave showed up. We didn't know what we were going to do that night, mm. so you hadn't brought your. Yeah, I, I brought some wind chargers, and right? My season two hadn't hobby, showed up yet, but I brought my your dual box, right? And. It was so cool because we kind of did a round robin, the three of us, and the it was really nice. versus the, uh, the gunslinger. gunslinger. And we finally oh. figured out the gunslinger in like the fourth or fifth game what her trick was that made her really, really good. It, the samurai was just brutal because he was. Oh, he just does so damage much all the time. Even when you attack him, he's hitting back. It's like, oh my god, it was insane. Neither character could heal, but the samurai does damage like Ooh. with everything. All the time. Every action is damage. Yeah. yeah, so very, very cool. That has been our other game, and frankly, that's been our hobby night for the last couple weeks. I'm so excited for season two to show up yep. because my friend Rebecca told me that the season two characters, they took the success of season one mm-hmm. and... Season two feels like all of the bold swings that they didn't feel comfortable putting in season one, Mm. um, that they really got a grasp and understanding of, iterated on, and then put into season two. Great. So, like, the Cursed Pirate has a full card swap that you can do where like you uh, you can change character basically mid game. Whoa. But you gotta decide when the right time to flip the cursed coin is. Okay. Yeah, looking forward to playing all kinds of different things and just having a good time with it. That is what we have been doing other than Sigmar. Oh I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? Events we're gonna talk about two of our events that we've been to recently. But the first thing we're going to talk about, Brendan, is your event just yesterday. We're recording on a Sunday. You went to Fall Rubicon, again, sponsored by our friends at the Dias Cast. And it was up in West Bend, which... Listeners, about a half an hour, 45 minutes from where we live. You took some monster trucks. I did. The new Ogre book wasn't legal yet. It came out the same day as the event. And, you know, obviously list submission was when list submission was. Mm -hmm. I really wasn't feeling anything in particular. There really wasn't anything that I super wanted to get into. And so I was sitting there the Saturday of list submission with my college roommate, Cody. And I'm just like, I was like, I just got to put something together. And he asked me, he goes, well, you know, you have any cool models that you've painted recently that, you know, you haven't gotten to play yet? I was like, yeah, I painted a Bellacore, you know, like June-ish, and I painted a Kragnos a couple months ago for, you know, that Ty took to Nashcon. And mm-hmm. I showed him kind of what the Bellacore list would look like, and I showed him what the Kragnos list would look like, and he goes, oh, the Kragnos list seems pretty fun. I said, yeah, I think so. I said, you know, pretty straightforward, you know, my games will be quick, and, you know. Give if, it a go. If I'm having fun, cool. If I'm not, I don't have to spend much time with it. <laughs> right. You know, so put the list together, sent it over. So it was Boulderhead, the Kragnos, Frostlord on Stonehorn with Metal Cruncher. If you have a save of a four up or better at the start of the combat phase, I just do D6 mortal wounds to you. Super dumb. The Brand of Svard, so plus one to hit for my mount. Mm-hmm. And uh, Lord of Beasts, so plus one to movements for monsters that start, you know, wholly within range of him. Then uh, Stonehorn Beast Rider, Thunder Tusk Beast Rider, Unit of Two Mornfang, Gorger. The Mornfang and the Beast Riders were in Bounty Hunters, which would prove irrelevant in my games. The Maw Pot is at 1985, took the Inspired Triumph for plus one to wound. Obviously, the secret here, guys, is Kragnos gives 3d6 inch charges. Ogres do mm-hmm. impact hits based on the charge roll. And because everything I have is a monster, it's four ups to do mortal wounds. So you're going to be averaging 10-ish. You can spend one CP from the Frostword on Stonehorn at the start of the charge phase to re-roll charges for all friendly Beast Claw Raiders units. Pretty which, good. Which is pretty good. And you're just going to throw them in into the enemy. 
The Gorger is there to throw down near something to eat and unleash hell. He has a natural reroll charge roll on his war scroll. He would also benefit from the 3d6 inch charge from Kragnos. Yep. Which is good. You'd set him down nine inches away from you know, roll the Roll 3d6? <laughs> 3d6, eat the unleash hell, cool. He's like, no points, sweet. Here come the monster trucks. Yeah. So in the first game, it was head-on collision against really a Venari-heavy Lumineth list. Hmm. Two units of 10 Sentinels, two units of 10 Wardens, unit of 20 Wardens, two units of five Dawn Riders, two Banner Lords, a Lord Regents, a Sonari Enlightener. <laughs> cool. And him and I talked about at the front of the game, he's like, I don't know what I do here. And I was like, I don't know either. He was a two-drop. He put everything down. He chose to go first. Mm-hmm. I charged forward. I blew up the Dawn Riders that he had sent forward, put my Gorger in his back line to go potentially mess up some Sentinels in a little bit. I double-turned him, top of two. All he had left was God, 18 Sentinels, two units of nine at that point. That was that. We shook okay. and, and talked about it and... Moved on to game two. <laughs> moved on to game two. Game two was against a Hammers of Sigmar list. Hmm. He had a... Lord Arcanum on Toraline, two Knight Judicators, so those are the shooty heroes yep. with their friendly Grifthounds. He had a unit of Vindictors, one unit of Fulminators, a unit of Tempesters, and then a unit of 10 Thunderbolt Crossbow Judicators, Ooh. which are every hit that they make with them counts as two hits. Yeah. yeah pretty pretty scary unit. Not a lot of Ren. Oh, and a unit of Long Strikes, as sure. one would. He chose to go first. Uh, we're playing the Nidus Path as well. Um, oh, yeah. He chose to go first. He picked Gaining Momentum. And the unit he picked to kill was my Frostlord on Stonehorn. So I gave him Finest Hour and then all out defensed him. He put everything into the Frostlord on Stonehorn. I walked away having taken six wounds. Um, yeah, we just talked about that, how resilient he is before the show. And it's yeah. like insane. A three up with plus two to his save and then a five up ward is going to be pretty tough to move. Mm. Bottom of one, I set the Gorger down. He ate the Unleash Hell from the Boltstorm crossbows. Both of my Stonehorns got into them. My Frostlord made it far enough on the charge to get into the Fulminators that were behind them. Kragnos, you know, got in there as well. Kragnos didn't even have to fight. He ended up piling in towards the battle line. And I had my Thunder Tusk way up to my top left. So this is the second time I've played the Nidus Path where I've basically taken a 400-point monster, thrown him out on his own near my top left objective, and just said, hopefully my opponent doesn't figure out that like, I don't actually know something. <laughs> sure, that sure. This is actually going to be a very difficult thing for me to, to keep. Sure. Because he had a unit of Tempesters that were right there mm-hmm. that were going to swing over. I just towed it, right? I'm worth 10 models. You got to come over here. You got to kill me. Maybe he rolls some bad charges. Maybe he doesn't shoot very well. Like, you know, buy some time. Roll off for priority. I win priority into two. Done. I slam into his army. At that point, at the end of top of two, all he's got left is two units of two Griffhounds, a Knight Judicator, and the Tempesters. And then from there, it's cleaning up and... Game over. Yeah, so it made it into battle round five, you know, where things are moving around. And, sure. But so far through two games, I've got all 10 battle tactics, both my grand strategies. Game three, I end up playing against a Giants list being <laughs> run by Andrew Carolus. He had a Breaker Tribe, so a Gatebreaker mm-hmm. General. Mm-hmm. He had King Broad. He had two War Stompers. Basically, everyone's rolling around with an artifact. He had a War Stomper who was a wizard. He had a War Stomper who had the Glowy Shield of Protection, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Yep. And then he had a Gatebreaker with the Manticore Vial, which is plus one to wound on mm. the Flail. So mm. eh, pretty good. Pretty good. That one we're playing in the presence of idols. I know that he was going to want to try and keep as many of his giants together as possible, which is fine. My goal was to pick them off one at a time. 
mm-hmm. or try and pull them apart and then do that. He outdropped me. He made me go first. I tagged the middle objective with my Mornfang. I dropped my Gorger down on the bottom right objective. Hold one, hold two, hold more. Mm-hmm. Got my battle tactic for five. He sent his wizard out to go fight my gorger. Sweet, 25% of your army versus whatever a gorger's worth. Yeah. Cool. Right. He brings his three giants in to... They beat up my Mornfang screen. I put my Thunder Tusk in front of my two Stonehorns and Kragnos as like a second level of screen in case he double turns me. Sure. I'm willing to give up the Thunder Tusk to get the turn where oh, I yeah. do what I have to do. I win priority into two. He makes the middle the Proving Ground, which he had retaken. I send my Thunder Tusk up to the top left objective. I swing both my Stonehorns and Kragnos around the bottom of the combat where... King Broad is sitting at the bottom of this three line. So it's if you're thinking about it, the bottom right objective has the Wizard War Stomper. Standing right on the middle objective is King Broad. And then along an angle is the Gatebreaker and then the second War Stomper. I get both the Stonehorns and then Kragnos onto the side where the Gatebreaker isn't able to pile in. Kragnos does one impact hit <laughs> against the monster. You know, I roll the charge, right? He's got the two dice. You know, if I roll right. two sixes, this guy's going to fall over. The, he has no ward saves in his list of any kind. The mortal wound impact is where I'm going to make my money. Like, come on, like, give me like a four and a five. Like, give me <laughs> give me something mean as heck so that I can pile in and kill the Gatebreaker. Yeah. Give me something gross, Snake Eyes. <laughs> <laughs> well, a mortal wound's a mortal wound. End up dropping King Broad. He ends up creating like this soup charge. Mm. He does an eye for an eye. So he's just got to kill something. So he's going to try and kill the non-Frostlord Stonehorn. Okay. The Gatebreaker charges into Kragnos. The Wizard War Stomper tags the Frostlord on Stonehorn and the Stonehorn Beast Rider. And the other War Stompers on the other side of the Stonehorn Beast Rider. Okay. This was a crucial mistake in this game. Tagging the Frostlord the way that he did allowed me to pile in and tag the objective that the War Stomper had just vacated. Okay. Meaning I controlled it, which Mm. meant that he controlled one objective, right? So it's not a hold one, hold two, hold more situation. It's a hold one, maybe a battle tactic, which was the likely outcome. The unlikely outcome, which did occur, was... I rolled out of my mind on these save rolls on this Stonehorn Beast Rider. My ward rolls, he's 12 wounds base. Boulderhead gives him plus one wound. Okay, sure. He did 12 wounds to okay. the Stonehorn Beast Rider I, and lives. I've played enough, you know, Maw Tribes to have had that happen where I'm one or two wounds short and I'm like, oh, God, hate that. Hold one, no battle tactic, roll off for three. I win priority. In top of three, I drop the War Stomper. That's oh, the wizard. Oh, man. I drop the Gatebreaker. And so all that's left is the non-wizard Gatebreaker. The wizard Gatebreaker fell over and ended up killing my Stonehorn, but <laughs> such is life. Yeah. But I've got a Thunder Tusk, Kragnos, and a Frostlord on Stonehorn versus the Giant. I control all three objectives. He has no battle tactics that he can complete for the rest of the game. Mm-hmm. Absolutely none. Yep. So if, if nothing changes, I win the game. Eventually, you know, he charges in and we kill him and sure score it out. Wow. Wow, Brendan. That's a really, really cool day. Exciting day. Yeah. So took first. Yeah. Congratulations, man. You know, That's awesome. Got a sweet trophy. Your first wooden gladius. First wooden gladius. <laughs> Nick and Sean and the store owner, Sean, 
Yeah. We're all kind of bragging, you know, that like the prize support is going to be really cool. Oh, this is so cool. Yeah. That's cool. Like, you know, I go to a lot of, you know, one dayers and I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, the winner usually gets somewhere between 50 and 100 bucks in store credit. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, you know, that's cool. Like I've got my eye on like a Krondis Karazai or like a Stormdrake Guard box or something like that, or sure. like a King Broad. Oh, yeah. And so they're pulling the prizes out of this, this black bin. <laughs> you know, third place hobby gets, you know, this box of skulls. And I'm like, cool, whatever. Second place gets Mega Droth Ruins from... You know, the big box. First place hobby gets you know, the big waterfall thing from oh, the, yeah. the Heart of Gur box. Yeah, cool. All right. Very nice. Third place, you know, gaming gets a start collecting box of your choice. Very nice. Sweet. Cool. Sweet oh, prize. Yeah. Second place gets a Vanguard box of your own choice. And, and that's kind of where my eyebrows went up. And I was yeah. like, that's well, pretty good for second place. Second place. <laughs> that's pretty solid. Because those are $150-ish. Yeah. yeah. Not a bad day. No. First place, he reaches in and pulls out and puts down the Slaves of Darkness. Oh, God. Um, that's you know, limited so Limited edition cool. box. And it's so cool. I knew I won. I had played three games. I'd gotten all 15 of my battle tactics, all three of my grand strategies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I had missed a sum total in all of my games, four points. Okay. And that was just not holding one objective one turn. Sure. I know I have it. And they go, yeah, so you can get this or you can swap it out for any of the dual army boxes, right? You know, Fury of the Deep or Arcane Cataclysm or whatever. Or, you know, like any of the big army like Christmas boxes that the store would still have. But I mean, just that level of prize support at a one-day event is insane. And it was, you know, we only had like 20-ish people there. (laughs) <laughs> the day of. There were more people that signed up that had to drop. Totally independent of that, I'm like, wow, okay. Uh, for a, an army that I literally was sitting on my couch, you know, talking to my old roommate about going like, yeah, like, what should I just play? And yeah, sure. turned into that. You know, that was pretty sweet. I love the trophies, right? You know, that's the thing that I enjoy the most. You know, the store credit's usually, you know, pretty cool. I, you know, get what you want. But the fact that, like, that was the prize support. That was super cool. That was unusual. Very generous. Very unnecessary. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. So glad you had a great time. So I went to RockCon, my 15th year, I think, going. Just Something like that. Yeah. I was looking at some of the... We're going to talk about trophies for one of the games I played. And I was looking at one from 2010. And I'm going, oh my gosh, man. I've been going to this for a long time. But uh, RockCon's down in Rockford, Illinois. It's essentially historicals, but they have a whole separate room for Pathfinder if you're into such things. And Pete, the guy who runs the local Pathfinder group, just does a spectacular job with that. I had a chance to talk to him for a few minutes on the first day. But the way it works is you've got six slots during the weekend. There are two on Friday, three Saturday, one Sunday, and each slot is four hours long, and they go from nine to one, two to six, and then seven to 11. So on Saturday, you're essentially playing from nine in the morning to 11 at night, or pretty late. So it's pretty long days, still lots of fun. And I was going to focus this time really on historicals if I could. And I ended up playing only half historicals, but it was still cool. So my first slot on Friday was Friday afternoon. I played a game called Atlantic Storm and it was like a card game that simulated the Battle of the Atlantic with the convoys, wolf packs, and those kind of things. Very, very cool. And it was weird because during the game, it was semi-competitive because there are times when you had to choose to kind of go with another person to make that round turn out in a certain way. But at the end you counted up the total points, so it was competitive. Very neat because all the cards had some kind of historical references and technologies and everything else. Very, very cool. And I ended up in second place, I think. There were five people playing, and it went uh, 14 points, 16 points, and then the top three was 30, 31 and 33 points. 
so it was very close. And I had the 31. Very, very cool. And then the second game I played from 7 to 11 plus, it was a long evening, <laughs> game called Victory at Midway. And it was a true double blind game. Joe the guy was playing uh, and I had screens between us. We literally could not see how we were moving on this map. Every hex was 100 miles and Dave was a gentleman running it. He was kind of to the side, he was the game master. So he was kind of recording all of our movements and stuff. And then when we did searches, because essentially that was how we spent the first two and a half hours was even trying to find the other guy's uh, units on this map. You're going, well, that's really kind of a waste. Well, but when you think about it, it's a great simulation of, you know, one hex, Brendan, is a hundred miles on the side. That's 10,000 square miles. You're like, these groups of ships yeah, are wow, only... The, the enormity what, of it. Well, yeah, 12, 15, 16 ships. You're f trying to find a group of ships in 10,000 square. That's one hex. And there's you know, hundreds of hexes on this board. So it really made you appreciate how difficult it must have been for the Japanese and Americans to even have a chance to find each other and how... Oh, at the time, yeah. Yeah, and how fortunate it was based on the technology, right? Because you didn't have radar. You didn't have all the things we have today. It ended up there were also submarines in the game, which was kind of cool. I had an advantage in terms of search because I had Midway Island, but we had started like at 7.30 and at quarter to 11, we finally found each other's fleets. Quarter to freaking 11, I found his carriers. He found two of mine because I had split my three carriers up into three different battle groups. He had all of his together. He launched an airstrike on Midway and totally decimated the defenses and the air units. But I had launched a unit of Marine uh, dive bombers and attack planes and I actually sunk one of his carriers. I sunk the Soryu. So I was like, oh yeah, this is going great. Well, then it was like 1110. <laughs> like they're going to close the building, man. They're closing the building at 11, right? And they're kind of staring at us like, are you guys? So we ended up, I was ready to launch all of my aircraft at his carriers. He was ready to launch all of his aircraft at my carriers. And we had to stop the game. I'm like, oh, oh my God. So, Tell me you picked up the game later. No, we no. didn't. And this is the thing. I give this, the first game I would give a a three out of five. I had a good time. It was it was good. This one I give a two out of five just because there was so much dead time. There's got to be something in the design they can do to cut that amount of time before you get something active interaction you know, between the two players. So still interesting and an interesting simulation. First thing on Saturday morning, I played Star Wars Outer Rim. The guy who runs all the board gaming isn't dead stuff is my friend Ike. I've talked about him before with uh, the free con thing we did in January. His son Jason ran this and it it's so funny because Ike is tall. He's maybe about 6'4", right? And I hadn't seen Jason since January. And he's like, Dan, he comes over and literally he is so tall, he had to lean over to hug me, you know? And you're not a small guy. No, I'm like, six, he's like six foot eight, Brendan. Oh, like, God. He's so tall. It's just like, I'm looking up to him to you know, talk to him. But anyway, he's running this game it was a great game. The board is so unique. It literally is like a semicircle that's about maybe five inches thick that runs, you know, 180 degrees. And there are planets on it. You move between them. The goal of the game is to become the most infamous mercenary in the galaxy. And you get this by earning fame points. And that you do by upgrading your ship, 
hiring crew, completing missions, completing bounties, carrying cargo. There's all kinds of aspects and ways you can win this game. Very, very enjoyable. Obviously, the Star Wars theme was just saturated in terms of the characters you could play and crew you could get, ships. The Millennium Falcon was in there. It wasn't called the Millennium Falcon. Of course, the technical name was on the card, but you knew what it was. Very, very cool and very enjoyable. I would give that a four out of five. If I had enough people to play it with, I probably would get it. But again, you know, you have to find people who have an interest in something like that. And I think if you're ever going to play it, you need at least four people to play this because you need enough interaction, enough stuff going on. Just two people probably wouldn't have as good a time with that. So the next thing I did in the afternoon on Saturday, I did something called Rangers of Shadow Deep. Now this was a miniatures kind of RPG thing. I wasn't sure about it. I thought it was more of a homebrew thing, but there's actually a book called Rangers of Shadow Deep, and there's a system and everything else. And the most amazing thing about this was the two guys running it, man, the miniatures that they had painted were just amazing, Brendan. And they had dozens and dozens and dozens of miniatures. You'd pick a character card and then you'd find the miniature that went with it. So essentially what you were doing is you were playing a ranger and the ranger could have most people had like two companions it could be an animal companion uh, another archer whatever you wanted it to do and there were all kinds of different rangers that you could get the goal of this thing was to go into this village that had gone silent and try to rescue villagers try to kill whatever creatures were there and that kind of thing the thing that made it most amazing was the guy who ran it was so enthusiastic man it didn't matter what was going on he was roll that dice roll that dice come on get that six you know and you're going okay it's just the dice He's like, oh, no, no, this can make a huge difference in the game. Come on, make it happen. Everything that was going on, he was just so pumped for. And it made it so enjoyable. You just felt like you had to participate. So very, very cool game. I give it a three out of five again. The highlight of the weekend was Saturday evening. Was my Formula D. Yeah, this is the main (laughs) show for you. You know, listeners, I've talked to Brendan about this game a lot. Uh, You know, he has some growing interest in Formula One. And this game is essentially Formula One racing. And it's really interesting, the mechanics, because you design, get a number of points, like 20 points to load out your car with brakes, tires, engines, transmission, suspension. There are all kinds of ways that you can lose this stuff during the race. And if you go to zero on any of those things, your car dies and you drop out of the race, right? Well, I played this many times before and I've won two second place and one first place trophies in this game and the guy who runs it Tad Ringo actually runs this game a lot of places and normally when it comes in the box it's about a quarter of the size of a Sigmar table so think about that for the cardboard game board that comes with it he has blown all these race courses up that they are literally half again as wide and twice as long as a Sigmar board. They're just monstrous, right? The sizes of the cars are like three times as big and it's just so cool. He actually told me about an event the first weekend in February down in Champaign in Illinois. He's got a board that is five feet wide and 16 feet long. Wow. It's just insane. He's showing me pictures and stuff. I'm going, man, it's a long drive, but it might be worth playing on that. And he's running like four or five races during the weekend. Anyway, my goal was to win a trophy. And that's mm-hmm. what I had told you, you know, many times. But it's a totally random game, right? Like it's it, not... In some ways, well, here's the thing. It does require a lot of skill in managing the resources that are on your car and understanding when to slow down, when to speed up, which gear to go into, when to sacrifice a transmission 
mission or sacrifice tires or whatever it is. There is a lot of thought to that. There is the random element because it has a very unique dice set where each gear you're in has a range of numbers. So first gear is one and two. Second gear is four through eight, not one through eight. You go up to the big blue marble we talk about. It's a 30-sided dice. And the range is like 21 to 30, right? When you're in sixth gear. So there is that element of chance in it. But when you think about it, there's also that element of chance in real racing. You Something could happen. You could get bumped or who knows what. The weather's bad. Or yeah. And all this, sorts of stuff. This even takes weather into account, which is really kind of interesting. Oh, fascinating. Anyway, so I was in the pole position, which is meaningless. There were 10 cars, so we were fully loaded out, which always is great when there are more cars. And by the end of the first lap, I needed to go into the pit. I didn't want to pit, but because it takes some time, you know, and because I burned almost all my tires to stay not overrunning certain curves. And I won't talk about the mechanics Mm. here, but so I had to pit. I come out of pit. I'm like in fifth or sixth place, right? One car has already dropped out because the guy burned out all his brakes. He overshot all these curves. His brakes were gone. So his car was just laying there as a wreck in the middle of the track. I didn't have to pit the next kind coming around because I didn't use it. I really managed my speed well going into this one really sharp curve where there are three areas that you have to slow down for. I was like in first or second place coming into, as I remember, the third lap because it's three laps. It's about an hour a lap. Feeling pretty good, right? By the time I got over to that one big curve with the three areas in it, I was in fifth place again. I was oh my God, man. Part of it was dice rolls. But then by the time I came out of the one curve where you have to slow way down to get through the track, I was in second place. And I'm like, oh yes, I got this. If I can just make, I was in fifth gear, which the range for that is like 12 to 20, I think, or something like that for fifth gear. If I could just roll a 17 or better, I can get into the curve. I could blue marble my way out over the finish line. I totally whiffed and got a 12. And like, Oh, man. So that took me out of first place for sure. And then I blue marbled out anyway, but the other two cars had passed me and I ended up in third place. So I got my trophy. Very cool. Podium finish. Yep. And four of the 10 cars had bottomed out by the time we had ended up playing. Yeah. It, It can be pretty brutal. There's rules for bumping into other people. Just... All kinds of fascinating things. Formula D is just a great game. Do you have the box set? of? I think I might. I might still have it way packed away because I know I bought it at one time, but I thought I gave it away because the one high school I was at, we had an auto shop and the kids were like really interested in playing it. I played it with them a couple times after school. It sounds like a fun game. It is very cool. So my last game was another racing game of sorts. It was called Chariots of Rome. And as you can imagine, very Ben-Hur style. Based on historical characters, actually, that were in some of the Circus Maximus races. And you end up with a random selection of a driver for your chariot. And you have to do three laps. The first person, this is important, across the finish line, not on the finish line. You got to get across it to win the race. And there are also interesting mechanics for, as you can imagine, if you know anything about the movie or movies, if you watch the newer one, there's a mechanic where you can ram other chariots, where you can whip the other person's horses to take down their exhaustion or it stirs the horses so they can't run Mm -hmm. as fast or whatever. It was interesting because I was really had this mindset of managing my speed into the curb after having played Formula D the night before. So I was doing a really good job of doing that because there's a mechanic to keep people 
people in the curves at a slower speed. But there was one totally obnoxious guy, and his character had this special rule that he could do extra damage if he whipped horses or if he rammed or whatever. The good news is until the fourth turn, he couldn't do anything. But once we hit the fourth turn, Brendan, all he was doing was running into other people's chariots, and it was just totally obnoxious. Like, he wasn't even trying to win the game. And everybody's going, what a jerk, right? And so two guys ganged up on him into this about halfway through the second lap, and they took him out of the race, and everybody's like, literally, like, eight people going, yes! <laughs> he was looking like, what did I do? Oh, my God. Anyway, going into the finish line on the third lap, I was in second place. Very cool. I had a shot at first. Remember, you got to get across the finish mm-hmm. line. The one guy in front of me got on the finish line, not across it. He got on it, but he hadn't quite won the race. So I had a choice. Either I could try to ram him and take him out of the race because he was really damaged. He was almost dead. Or I could just go straight ahead. But if I did that, he would roll higher. I mean, we were going to roll the same number of dice and he was ahead of me. So he would be further across the finish line than I was. I got to go for it. I got to ram him. So I rammed him. And it took my chariot out. Oh. And I'm like, oh, God. So it just Heartbreak. My, my bloody body, you know, slides in the sand across the finish line. Right? I'm like, oh, he's going to win. Well, a guy who was in third place came around. Hits your body and bumps your body. <laughs> he rammed that guy. And he, his body, like, slid across mine, across bloody body on the finish line. So he got blown up, too. And the guy who was in third place ended up winning the race. Oh. It was very cool. Very cinematic in what was going on during the game. Lots of fun. Great weekend. Met a lot of fun people. And it was probably one of my best rock cons, I think. It sounds like it was a lot of fun. You always have fun every time you go. This one sounds like you had a lot of fun. I did. It was just really, really cool stuff. That's it for our gaming other than Sigmar. For me, adventures and for you, a mini tournament. The only real thing I think event-wise that we have to talk about is the Adepticon registration doesn't start till January. Mm -hmm. It's pretty late considering historically it's been much earlier than that. But we know that January 8th is going to be the registration, I believe, day that I was looking at the site. So we know it's coming up in a couple months, and that's great. Obviously, as we get closer, we'll know more, and we can share with you listeners. Brendan, I think that's it, though. Yeah. For whispers. Over kind of the, long whispers. Over to the man. quote unquote meat of the show. <laughs> yeah, which is going to be probably shorter than uh, whispers was today. Oh, maybe. Maybe. Okay. So let's move on to Emperor Lies. I mean, what are we, a team? No, no, no. We're a chemical mixture that makes chaos. We're, we're a time bomb. Listeners, we are back with Emperor Lies, and Brendan is going to walk us through the Battle Scroll update from October. Yep. Fall Battle Scroll. We get handbooks in the summer and in the winter, and we get battle scrolls in the uh, fall and the spring. Mm-hmm. A couple of changes, right? We had the Purple Sun update, which came before this. What they're doing with the battle scrolls is they're keeping all of the rolling updates together to avoid any confusion. So the Purple Sun change is in there marked pink. says a change, but there's nothing that has changed. Right. It went from 70 to 90 points. Well, it went from 70 to 90 points, and the rule changed. Yes. In Grand Alliance Chaos, the Beasts of Chaos Primal Roar monstrous action was changed to, on a three-up, you receive one primordial call point. Hmm. It removed the top end where it could be D3. Nothing in order, nothing in death. Destruction got... The first one is maybe less impactful. Gloomspite gets the Arachnorok Spider with Spider Fang War Party pitch battle profile has changed to Battle Line of General Spider Fang. Okay. <laughs> Neat. All right. Cool. But the more impactful one, and it's to the health of the Cruel Boy subfaction in War Clans, is the Swamp Call of Shaman and Potgrot. Remove the text where using the poisons and elixirs costs you your ability to attempt to cast or dispel. Oh. So you get to 
do that and you also get to cast oh which is really 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 good because crew boys have a great lore Mm-hmm. But you never saw it because you were always taking the do mortal wounds on a five up instead of a six up. Sure. I know, it seems pretty good. Now you get to do both. It opens up an interest in things like taking Mastery of Magic, Arcane Tome with your Swamp Kalas. Like, your list fundamentally changed because the other thing that came along with this was point changes. I'm not going to talk about all of them. I'm going to no. talk about a couple of notable ones. You know, the modern Seraphon list saw some point hikes. You know, Croak went up, Skink Priest went up, Star, uh, Slan Starmaster went up, Engine of the Gods went up. Fine, cool, whatever. In Stormcast, you had Kronzis and Karazai come out as the big winners, dropping 50 points. Mm-hmm. Yandrasta came down 40. Zaventus Firestrike came down 40 as well. Uh, there were a couple of units in there as well that saw some point drops. Not a big deal. Dragon Ogres went up 20 points. I don't think that changes the list very much, but, Mm -hmm. you know, that is the main list that is out there being run. Slanesh saw some points drops. Magkin of Nurgle, paying for the sins of their wins. Of course. Blight Lords went up 30 points. Lord of Afflictions went up 20. Well, that's a significant change, is it not? It seems to be. The list changes, right? Mm -hmm. You you are losing models. You Mm -hmm. you are forced to play something different. Okay. Skaven saw a number of different drops in the 10 to 25 point range. Flesh Eater Courts saw the Royal Terrorgeist and Zombie Dragon come down 20. Hmm. Bone Reapers got some healthy point drops as well. Oh, you're really uh, sad about that. Necropolis yeah. <laughs> Stalkers came down another 10 for some unknowable reason. Mortec Crawler and Gothazar Harvester came down to 200. And then the Immortus Guard and the Morgas all had some more point drops. Oh, nice. Okay. The Soulbike Gravelords saw a couple of point drops. Neferata came down. White King on Skeletal Seed. Bloodseeker Palanquin. <laughs> uh, the White King and the Terrorgeist and Zombie Dragon. Cool. Gets uh, a bunch of points decreases. Shooters and Stabas, a bunch of the Spiders, Scragrot came down, Squigs came down. You know. Very cool. So yeah, good for them. Trying to get where they need to go. War Clans saw a mixture of things. The Cruel Boy stuff saw some points decreases. Killbow came down, Gut Rippus came down, Killboss on Great Nashtooth, Gobsprack, Killboss on Vulture, all those came down 20 points. The Snatchaboss came down 25, and Scumdrek came down 30. Oh, that's okay. Significant. Totally different list you can start writing. Yep. Gut Rippers are in a place where, you know, they're at 160 points where you can write some, I think, some pretty mean Cruel Boys lists. Bone Split is, though, paying the price for their wins. The Wargog Prophet went up 20, Big Stabbers went Ooh. up 20, and Boar Boy Maniacs went up 10. Then the big change that I think folks were really looking for is the Cronspine went up 80 points to 480, making some competitive decisions more compelling. Yes. You actually have to start making some choices. Mm-hmm. Cogs went up, Laoshan went up, Purple Sun was adjusted to 90. There's not a new change here. And then Spell Portal went up as well. Right. well I'm happy about the Cronspine. I think a lot of people are. I think the overall opinion about that particular model in the community is very split. But So there wasn't man. a single Cronspine yesterday yeah. at Rubicon. Oh, that's um, great to and hear, honestly. as I was talking to you and I was talking to Nick and I was talking to the TO, I said if I had ran into one Cronspine, I don't win that game with the list I have. My list is just Cronspine fodder. Cronspine sees my Beast Claw Raiders and goes... Yes. Mm-hmm. More of this, please. Sure. I think we're mostly pretty happy with what this is. I don't think there were any real big absent inclusions in the point drops. If you want to make arguments around the magnitude is wrong, sure. whatever. And people are always going to have those opinions. Mm-hmm. So Bold takes on getting Karazai and Krondis to start coming down. I think that's closer to the right choice on those. At 600 points, they were... Pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah. For what they did. Yes. That's the issue. Yeah. 
Very so good. now to talk about a new battle tome. Yes. New, quote unquote. Yeah, uh, Sons of Bayamut. A rewrite. Talking Giants, man. You know, people didn't complain about a new Giants book, you know, when <laughs> it had basically the same shelf life as the first Lumineth book. Right. But yeah. here we are. Okay, cool. As always, we're going to start with Allegiance Abilities and Battle Chase. We're going to do this a little bit differently. Because the book is so different. Yeah, it's very, very differently organized. I, I think we say this every time we talk about a book. There is no standard conversation anymore. <laughs> every book is addressed on its own merit. So we're going to talk about universal battle traits, enhancements, rampages, those things. And then what we're going to do is, because each tribe has its own set of battle traits and artifacts, command traits, those things, what we're going to do is... We we are going to talk about a specific war scroll for that particular tribe, that giant, and then we're going to talk about the traits and go that way. We're going to talk about Kragnos and King Brod, of course, separately, but then we'll go back and hit the other war scrolls and then roll into their particular battle traits. Starting out, Mightier makes Rightier. Each Mega Gargant has a mightier than rightier value listed on its damage table and war scroll for the purposes of contesting objectives. Each model counts as a number of models equal to mightier than rightier value. And each Man Crusher Gargant model counts as 10. And from their original days, Brendan, this is pretty significant. The way that it worked before was you just had a flat value that you counted as. Okay. Which could be modified if you were in a Taker tribe. Right. And it never scaled with damage. Mm-hmm. Now it scales with damage, and when we talk about the Taker tribe, the way that that works is also very different. Okay. Yes, they are going to count as more, but it's much more manageable, right? You know, they can't just stand on the objective and say, I'm 120 models. No matter what you do to me until I'm down to one wound, right? Well, until I'm down to zero wounds. Right, and, and then, zero. <laughs> And then I'm nothing. Right. This was a good change when we get to the War Scrolls. It'll become apparent. Yeah. It becomes much, much, much more manageable as an opponent. Okay, great. And then you've got the Lord and Masters rules. Basically, each of the tribes tells you who your general has to be. Taker tribe is a Kraken Eater. Breaker tribe is a Gatebreaker. Smasher tribe is a Beast Smasher. Stomper tribe is a War Stomper. Mm -hmm. Very complicated. All of you very smart listeners, I know we'll be able to figure this out. <laughs> when you unlock those, there's extra allegiance abilities that are available to those armies. So there's extra command mm-hmm. traits and there's extra artifacts. But there are just generic ones as well that you have access to if you'd like. Sure. So one of the big changes in this new battle tome is you get access to three unique monstrous actions mm-hmm. that you can use using Mega Gargants while playing a Sons of Bayamut army. Yeah. So Dan, which one do you want to start with? I don't know. I like the Colossal Slam. That seems okay. pretty cool. Pick one enemy monster that is not part of a unit consisting of two or more models and that is within half an inch of this unit. Roll a dice. On a three up, you can remove that monster from the battlefield and set it up again anywhere wholly on open ground within half an inch of this model. The monster suffers D3 mortals in addition to subtract one from hit rolls for attacks made by the unit carrying out this monstrous rampage until the end of the following combat phase. The monster who does this is going to be less likely to hit, but you can position the enemy model to take advantage of, for example, if you're pairing your giants or something else. You can bring it from one side to the other. Right. You're kind of piling in without piling in. You can literally take that monster who is on, we'll give it some compass directions, on the east side of your model, Mm -hmm. and you have two Mega Gargants on your west side. Right. You can pick this model up yes. and place it. You can put it on the west of this model. So now all three are in contact. Now all three are in contact without charging, without piling in. Right. They're just there. Because you can start with this action 
and bring in another Mega Gargant. And do another Monstrous Rampage. Do another Monstrous Rampage. <laughs> yeah. uh, perhaps one called Beast Grapple. That sounds interesting. Where you pick one enemy monster within three inches of this unit and roll a dice. And on a three up until the end of the following combat phase, the strike last effect applies to both that monster and the unit carrying out this Monstrous Rampage. Mm. So if it's your turn, <laughs> you are always going to make the first selection in the strikes last or the strikes first mm-hmm. categorization. Yep. This isn't a great one in your opponent's turn. It's not a bad one because you can use it to prevent somebody swinging at a monster you know, somewhere else. Mm-hmm. But this is exceptionally good when it's in your turn. You can control other combats with it. And then the last one is the Earth-Shaking Roar. You pick one enemy unit with a wounds characteristic of one or two within three inches of this unit, roll 2d6. If the roll is higher than the unit's bravery, for each point by which the roll exceeds the unit's bravery, one model in that unit flees. That unit's commanding player decides which models flee. The effect of this monstrous rampage is not considered to be a battle shock test. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pretty cool. These can only be carried out with Mega Gargants and can only be carried out in the Sons of Bayman Army. Mm-hmm. So you can't take it with you if you're taking Mercenary Giants, which nope. we'll talk about in a little bit. Nope. New set of tools to use. I got to see a couple of these in action oh, cool. on Saturday. They're neat. You still have access to all of the original ones. You still have Titanic Duel. You still have Regular Roar. You, know, you still have Stomp. Sure. You know, these are a nice addition. Great. Then let's go over and talk about enhancements. So first we have command traits. Is there any one of these that you like better than the others? I like Furious Temper. Once per Mm -hmm. battle when this general is picked to fight, you can say that they are overcome with rage. If you do so until the end of that phase, use the top row on this general's damage table, regardless of how many wounds they have suffered. Mm -hmm. Giants need to be in combat to really do what they need to do, especially with the way that their table works. They're going to take damage. They are very damageable, mm-hmm. and they can table hard as they get towards the end of it. So having the opportunity to get to top bracket and really try and tip something over with the last hurrah of a model is is useful. Yeah, I picked this one too, and I think part of it is because, you know, working on my Sylvaneth list, I've really kind of focused in on Oakenbrow, which essentially until you're down to one wound, you're acting as though you're full potential is there on your chart on your table you use this when you pick to fight so this would only apply in the combat phase when you pick objectives okay got it that's good clarification then all right coolio then we have one that adds wound characteristics we have has another one that adds one to charge rolls okay i like the charge roll one as well sure i think when we get into some of the army specific ones those are almost always going to take precedent over picking these and then we have artifacts any of these that you like i like two Okay. So the first one is the glowy shield of protectiness. Mm-hmm. It ignores up to rend one. Uh, mm-hmm. If it is rend one, it's rend blank. It doesn't reduce the rend. But and if your unmodified save roll for an attack is a six, the attacking unit suffers a mortal wound after all of its attacks have been resolved. Bounce back. Cool. Yeah. I mean, you've, you've got a lot of wounds, so yeah. Somebody might be rolling a lot of dice. Mm-hmm. So yep. Absolutely. All right. How about the other one that you like? I like the amber bone totem. Mm. The bearer can attempt to charge even if they uh, ran in the same yeah. turn. I don't want to say you're slow, but you're not super speedy. Mm -hmm. So having access to this is quite nice. So I like the Amberbone Totem, the one you just talked about. I also like Extra Calloused Feet. Mm -hmm. Model armed with Almighty Stomp only. The Bearer's Almighty Stomp has an attacks characteristic of 3 instead of 2, a rend characteristic of minus 3 instead of minus 2, and a much more reliable damage characteristic of D3. I really like that for most of the Giants. That's very cool. It's a nice step up for them. All right. So that's, that's universal the universal traits. Yeah. Next, we'll talk about the two kind of quote-unquote universal characters yes. that go into either of them and don't necessarily impact 
what tribe you'd potentially be interested in. Both of these have a lot of rules. <laughs> yeah, full pages for everybody all the way through. Yep. The nice thing with the Giants is a lot of the rules are exactly the same. Right, so once we talk about them, we can just say same as, same as. Yep. And we will do that. Start with Kragnos, a War Scroll that I was very familiar with because I've just spent the last three games playing with him. He is really unchanged, right? So movement 10, 2-up save, bravery 10, 18 wounds. He's got his Dread Mace, which is 3-inch range, 6 attacks, 3s by 2s, Ren 3, damage 4. Very scary. Tusk Breaker, 1-inch range, 3 attacks, 3s by 2s, Ren 2, damage D3. And the Hooves of Rack and Ruin, 1-inch range, 6 attacks down to 3, 3s by 2s, Ren 1, damage 2. Now, Brendan, his move is tabled, correct? Yep. 10 okay. down to 7. All right, cool. He has a Mightiest, makes Rightiest. His is on his War Scroll, so when you take him in different armies, that comes with him, unlike Giants, where they would just be the fixed five for being a monster mm -hmm. in a non-Sons yep. of Bayman army. Yep. Kragnos takes his table with him. His table goes from 30 down to 18. He's a war master, which means you can take him in any destruction army without penalty for being able to play him. Sure. And being 720 points, he doesn't have to be an ally. He's just taken. He has Bellow of Rage, which is a table of a five up down to a two up. Any phase in which any wounds were allocated to him, you roll a dice for each defensible terrain feature and each unit other than Kragnos within six inches of him. If the dice roll is equal to or greater than the value uh, shown in the table, that unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. And if it's defensible terrain, it is demolished. Okay. The End of Empires, the rule that I use to great <laughs> effect, you know, this last Saturday, friendly destruction units wholly within 12 inches of this unit. You can attempt to charge with that unit if it's within 18 of an enemy unit. And you also roll 3d6. He is the avatar of destruction. He can't be outright killed. Instead, he would suffer d6 mortal wounds. Rampaging destruction, his impact hits. You can either pick every enemy unit within one inch of it if it's not a monster and do d6 mortal wounds on a two up. Nice. Or you can pick one enemy monster within one inch of this unit and roll 2d6. <sighs> on a summed value of a seven, nothing happens. On a oh, non-summed value man. of a 7, Ouch. you multiply the values together, and that is the number <laughs> of mortal wounds you do. Oh, God. Followed by the shield in violet. Ward save a 6-up. In addition, every time you're affected by a spell or an endless spell, you roll a 3d6 against the casting value of that spell or endless spell greater than the casting value, then you ignore it. Yeah, that's pretty reliable. That's crazy. Given knows. the fact that you're doing three dice, that's really good. 720 points, but he will make it up for you. Over and over and over again. Okay. That two up, six up is mean as heck, man. Yeah, I can imagine. Plus, using spells against him is pretty pointless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got to fight him to kill him or yeah. shoot him. Yeah, one or the other. Uh, mortal wounds is the best way to do it as well. Okay. And they can't come from spells. Yeah. <laughs> that would not be good. You All don't right. want them to. Zinch doesn't want to see this guy, I would assume. Typically, no. No. <laughs> All right. The next thing is new is King Broad. Very new. He has movement 10 down to 8, 40 wounds, 4 up save, 9 bravery. He has 3 attack profiles. One is the Obelisk of Tor Crania. 3 inch range. Attacks are from 4 down to 2. 3 by 3s, minus 2, 5 damage. Ouch. Almighty Stomp, 3 inch range. Two attacks, three by threes, minus two, D3. This is where that one command trait would come in handy to upgrade that. Mm -hmm. The death grip is three inches, one attack, three by twos, minus two, D6 damage. He is a war master. He does have almighty stomp. He adds one to hit rolls for attacks made with this unit's almighty stomp that targets a unit with a wounds characteristic of three or less. Good. Creepers, these little things that are on his model, I guess they 
kind of braid his beard and stuff like that. In each charge phase, the first time an enemy monster within three inches of this unit is picked to carry out a monstrous rampage, roll a dice. If the roll is equal to or greater than the creeper's value, which goes from two up to five up, the monster cannot carry out that monstrous rampage. That's a nice little rule. Hmm. That's really good, especially when you're doing it on a two-up. Okay, crushing charge. After this unit makes a charge move, roll a dice for each enemy unit within one inch. On a two-up, that unit suffers D3 if it's not a monster D6, right? If it's a monster D3. Death grip. When determining the damage inflicted by an attack made with this unit's death grip on a target that is an enemy monster, roll two dice instead of one and pick the higher result. Or either result, but I assume you're going to pick the higher one. Yeah, there, there are niche mm. situations where you want the lower. But, but yeah, most of the time. Long shanks this is a very general rule for giants when this unit makes a normal move run or retreat it can pass across models that are not monsters and parts of terrain features that are less than four inches tall in the same manner as a unit that can fly cool son of behemoth if the effect of a spell or ability would slay this model without any wounds or mortal wounds being caused by the spell or ability this model suffers d6 instead of being slain so that is another universal pretty much uh, giants rule so long shanks and sons of bayonet terror enemy units cannot receive the inspiring presence command while they are within three inches of any friendly units with this ability and then we have timber which is a universal giants rule <laughs> if this model is slain and that worked out in your one game actually for your opponent <laughs> it, it took out something well it didn't it was the presence of idol he killed one of my idols without killing it with an idol <laughs> all right if this model is slain before moving it from the battlefield the player must roll off the winner picks a point on the battlefield five inches from the slain model each unit within three inches of that point that is not a mega gargant suffers d3 mortal wounds the slain model is then removed from the battlefield power of behemoth is a prayer that has an answer value of three. So we got the priest thing here. He is priest keyword. Add one to the chanting roll if an enemy monster has been slain by this unit in the battle. So a two up, pretty good. If answered, pick one of the following effects. Shatter the mountains. Add two inches to the move characteristics of friendly Sons of Behemoth units until the end of that turn. Might of the Earth, you can heal up to D3 wounds allocated to each Sons of Behemoth unit. That's pretty good. Nice. Pummel all to dust. Improve the Ren characteristic of the following melee weapons used by friendly Sons of Behemoth units by one until the end of the turn. The Obelisk that the King Broad has, the Mare Club, Shipwreck Club, or War Club, the Titanic Boulder Club, Fort Crush of Flail, blah, 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 and the Massive Club. So for each of the specific... Yeah, Giants, it adds one to the Ren characteristic. Nice. Mm -hmm. Very, very cool. Those are all really good. And that healing thing, it's like everybody on the battlefield. There's no range or anything else. Yep, just just everybody. Yeah, nice. That can make a difference. It can make a difference on the table, too, as you're tabling. So this is why I targeted King Broad first in my game three, was I didn't want to have the table-wide healing available. I didn't want the extra Ren to be made available. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't call him the linchpin of the army, but he does some things that are very helpful. And it's incredibly reliable, too. Mm -hmm. Wow. Very, very reliable. Nice. Okay, so that's King Broad. Yeah. Next thing we're going to do, listeners, as we talked about, is we're going to go over each specific giant, their war scroll, talk about them in terms of their mercenary piece, and then we're going to go back and talk about their tribe's battle traits. Brendan, why don't you start us off, if you would like, with the Beast Smasher. Sure. It is a 35-wound model, movement 10 down to 8, Forp save, bravery 8. Stomps and the death grip are all the same all the way across the board. Mm -hmm. His unique weapon, the Menier Club, 3-inch range, 3 attacks, 
threes by twos, rend three, tables down to rend one, damage five, ooch. He has the Beast Breaking Strike. When this unit fights, if it's within three inches of an enemy monster, you can say that it will unleash a Beast Breaking Strike. If you do so until the end of the phase, the attack characters of this unit's club is one and cannot be modified. The damage, however, is changed to 5d6, <laughs> and all attacks made with the club must target an enemy monster. You know, before the recording, we talked about that, and it's like it's really spooky that it's 5d6, but you've also got to get through the hit and wound rolls here. Mm. With one attack, it's, yeah, a really tough decision to make. I think that's something you would do when all out is the only thing that gets you where you need to go. Sure. Okay. So his mightier makes right ear is 20 down to 12. Mm -hmm. And his unique rule is behemoth brawler. At the end of the charge phase, if this unit is within three inches of any enemy monsters, you can carry out two monstrous actions Mm -hmm. instead of one. If you do so, each monstrous rampage carried out with the unit must be different and each must target an enemy monster. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, you have access to Mercenary Mega Gargants. This is the Beast Smasher 1, can only be included in a Destruction Army. This is Otto Godswallow. His special rule that he adds is add one to hit rolls for attacks made by this unit that target an enemy monster. Okay. So that's that's pretty slick. Yeah, it's pretty good. And then we will now talk about the Smasher Tribe. Yeah, let's do that. Smasher Tribe is returning pages in our books, and you can hear all that live right here. Okay, Smashes. Yeah. The Smasher Tribe gets bone-crunching strikes. Friendly man-crusher guardian unit fights. If it's within three inches of an enemy monster, you can say that it will unleash a bone-crunching strike. If you do so, the attack's characteristic of the massive club is changed to one and cannot be modified. The damage characteristic is changed to 46, and you must target an enemy monster. So just like what the Smasher does, but for man-crushers. Sure. I like this more, if not for the only reason of you are able to take more cracks at this. Sure. Right? A single man crusher is, you know, is 150. 46 attacks. Yeah, 150 points. Or you get three swings at it in the mob mm-hmm. at 450 points. Sure. Yes, it is different. Your rend is not three. It's just a different setup. You know, it's rend one. Mm-hmm. But... You're rolling more dice. You, I like that better in terms of, you know, mm-hmm. swinging for the fences. Sure. And then you get a command ability. Don't let a few cuts stop your... <laughs> you use it at the start of the combat phase. It must be issued by your general, and that unit that receives the command must be a friendly man crusher gargant unit. So the end of that phase, you use the top row for the damage table. Fine. It's whatever. Okay. And so, Dan, the Smasher Tribe command traits, there's two. Which one? Woohoo. You like either one of these? No, I don't, honestly. Okay. I mean, if I had to pick one, I would take the Seas Green. Once per battle at the start of the phase, you can say that this general is Gorkamorka made manifest. If you do so, this general has a ward of four up against mortal wounds until the end of that phase. Seems pretty helpful, depending on what's happening. There's only once per battle, and I don't like those, but... Not. You don't like the healing one. Which really? is weird for me, I know. So the other one is Marrow Drinker. Each time an enemy monster is slain by this general, roll a dice equal to that monster's wound characteristic. For each five up, you can heal one wound allocated to this general. Yeah, I mean, that would be, on average, five or six, probably. Wounds get back. That's something, right? You're yeah. only, quote-unquote, bravery eight. And it's the... every time you kill a monster. Yeah. So, you know, if he's going around killing a bunch, yeah. yeah. If you kill a know. unit of monsters, you Oof. would get to roll for each monster. Yeah, you would. Yeah. Then you get right. two artifacts of power. Do you like either of these? That they can only be given to B-Smashers. Right. I'm kind of lukewarm on a lot of these specific ones. 
I don't know, Mantle of Tusks and Horns. It's once per battle at the start of the combat phase. You can say that the bear will channel the Wog. If you do so, add one to hit rolls for attacks made with melee weapons by friendly Sons of Bayamut units until the end of that phase. I mean, that's really nice because it's friendly Sons of Bayamut anywhere. Table-wide. Yeah, Yeah, anywhere. I think that's pretty cool. I think that's nice. Yeah. How about you? I think that's the right one. The other one is the Shatterer. If you roll a unmodified wound roll of a six against a hero monster or war machine, mm-hmm. that unit can no longer have any positive modifiers to their save rolls, which, I mean, you're basically guaranteeing the kill at that point. Yeah, of course. Which is, certainly isn't a bad thing. No. I think there's some other better artifact choices you're going to end up making. Yeah, I agree. Let's move on to the War Stomper. Mm-hmm. And the War Stomper is 10 down to 8, 35 wounds, 4 up save, 7 bravery, has 3 profiles. Two are different. The death grip is pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. They have Titanic Boulder Club, which is three inch range, four down to one in terms of no, bonuses that you get. So four. the attacks itself is are built unique. on yeah is built on the number of models that are nearby. Right. You get three up, three up. Minus two rend, two damage. What we look at is we look at the special rule, which is Titanic Boulder Club for that one. And the attack's characteristic of a Titanic Boulder Club is equal to the number of enemy models within three inches of the attacking model. Add the Boulder Club value on the table, which, as you said, is tabled down to four to one. Add four to the total for each monster within three inches of the attacking model. If the modified attack characteristic of the Titanic Boulder Club is more than ten, count it as being, oh my gosh, ten. Okay. Jump up and down. Three inch range, four attacks, three by threes, minus two D3, and then the death grip is the same as the others. Mm-hmm. I think that's about it. Most of these rules are yeah, the ones old. we talked about, except for hurled body. Yep. That's the only other one that's a little different. After this unit makes a pilot move, pick one enemy unit model within three inches and roll a dice. Add the hurled body modifier shown in the unit's damage table, which goes from two down to zero. If the roll is at least double the model's wound characteristic, it is slain and you can roll another dice. On a four up, pick an enemy unit within 12 inches. Invisible to it, that unit suffers the number of mortal wounds equal to the wounds characteristic of the slain model. Okay, it's a lot of words. Mm-hmm. Interesting. A little bit different, I guess. And yeah, it's a shooting attack that isn't a shooting attack and an ability that isn't an ability. And just points-wise, just for reference, we hadn't talked about that. Broad is 580. The Beast Smash we talked about is 520. And then it's 450 for the War Stomper, just in terms of relative value. And then we're going to talk about the, the Mercenary yep. War Stomper. Yep. So that's the One-Eyed Grunach. You can take him in Chaos or Destruction. Mm-hmm. The rule he gets is Shake the Earth. This is a Pretty yeah, good rule it is. from the mercenaries. Yep. You subtract one from hit rolls for attacks made by enemy units within six inches of this unit. If this unit made any jump up and down attacks earlier in the same phase. Sure. Great. Huge base. AOE minus one to hit. Yeah. Very, very nice. It's a good one. Especially if you... Uh, well, we'll talk about it at the end, but especially if you're piling these guys in with like a couple of giants that you can, you know, kind of add to the, the value of the attacks and the intensity of the attacks. All right, so we have allegiance abilities again. So we're on stopper tribe for allegiance abilities. <laughs> okay. After your general issues a command to a friendly man crush a gargant, that's the little dudes, until the end of the phase, they can issue the same command to any other 
man crush a gargant units without any further command points being spent. So that would encourage you to take multiple units of these and save some command points. Hmm. So, okay. Well, yeah, taking lots of man crushers. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Cool. The next one is grab those rocks and chuck them. You can use this command ability at the start of your shooting phase. That unit that receives the command must be a friendly little gargant unit. And until the end of that phase, add one to the attacks characteristic of the unit's thrown rocks. That's not bad either. That attack can cumulatively be pretty good. All right, so getting stuck in is the last one. Add one to the damage inflicted by successful attacks made by friendly little giants again. If the target is an enemy unit that has 10 to 19 models, you add two if the enemy unit has 20 or more models. So that's trying to knock down hordes, I guess, mm-hmm. really is what that was motivating. Uh, how about these, Brendan? The command trait, for example. What do you think? The only one of the two I like is eager for the fight. You can attempt to charge with this general if it's within 18 inches of an enemy unit, and it makes a 3d6 charge instead of 2d6. Sure, that's great. Especially if you don't have Kregnos in your army. So. Yeah, true. <laughs> he gets you there. And how about the next one, which is artifacts? I'm the same way for eager for the fight, which is the I extra don't. charge. I do yeah. not. Yeah, see, these it's are, like... <laughs> these, are, these are bad. All of these, it's like that. One makes Sons of Bayamot units within 12 inches, Bravery 10. Junk. The other is Club of the First Oak. Heal one wound, allocate the bear in your hero phase. In addition, if you've taken 25 or more wounds, which means you have 10 left. <laughs> you're almost dead. Then you have a ward of a five up. Ooh. <laughs> Okay. Give me the six-up ward artifact. All day long. Yeah. Sure. Yep. All right, man. Okay. Soccer player here. Kraken Eater. Movement 10 down to movement 8. Four-up save. Bravery 7. 35 wounds. Got a shooting attack. Hurled debris. Range 24 inches down to 15. Three attacks. Fours by threes. Ren 1. Damage D3. He's got the Shipwreck of War Club. Three-inch range. Four attacks down to two. Threes by threes. Ren 2. Damage 4. Almighty Stomp is the same as Broad. Death Grip is the same as Broad. Mightier makes Rightier 20 down to 12. Mm-hmm. Stomp is the same. Crushing Charge is the same. Death Grip is the same. Here it is. Uh, get Orf Me Land. In your hero phase, if any friendly units, this ability are on the battlefield and within one inches of any objective that you control, you can pick one of those units and say that it will kick one objective <laughs> that is within one of it away. If you do so, you can move that objective up to 2d6 uh. inches to a new position on the battlefield, more than one inch from any other models terrain features or other objectives it's such a good rule if you use it right man it's so good yeah and the designer on here as some objectives behave differently in different areas of the battlefield the value of an objective can change when it's kicked into mm-hmm. a different territory absolutely this technically allows you to kick table quarters in some of these missions which sure. is dumb yes yeah long shanks the same sons of bayamut the same stuff them in me net after this unit makes a pylon move pick up to d3 enemy models and three inches of it and roll a dice for each if if the roll is at least double the wounds characteristics of that model it is slain okay terror is the same timber is the same when you look at the mercenary one dead cunning for a gargant this is can only be taken in order of destruction armies at the start of the combat phase you can say that this unit will be uncannily cutting if you do so, the strike last effect applies this unit until the end of that phase, but you can add one to hit rolls and wound rolls for attacks made by this unit until the end of that phase. Yeah, Neat. That's not bad. Then that's you get bad. the Taker Tribe. Yeah, we're going to go to the right page for the tribe this time. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to go to the Taker Tribe. What have we got here? Get rid of them. For the purpose of contesting objectives, each friendly Man Crusher Gargant model counts as 15 models instead of 10. In addition, add 5 to the Mightier Makes Rightier value for friendly Kraken Eaters that are contesting an objective. Mm-hmm. Specifically Kraken Eaters. Yep. No one else benefits from this other than Man Crushers and Kraken Eaters. Yep. The other battle trait you get is, I want that for me collection. You can use this command ability at the start of the combat phase. The command can only be issued by your general, and the unit that receives the command must be a friendly Man Crusher Gargant. At the end of that phase, 
phase, add one of the damage characteristics of attacks made with the melee weapons that targets an enemy unit that bears an artifact of power or is unique. That's pretty useful because there's a lot of those running around the board. Hmm. Yep. People you might want to take. Niche. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. Interesting. How about the other two? So you have your command traits, and actually, I don't mind either of yeah, these. Yeah, one of these, yeah. First of which is extremely intimidating. Enemy units within six inches general cannot receive the inspiring presence or rally commands. That's pretty good. Yeah. The other one is very acquisitive. If you give an artifact of power to this general, you can pick one additional artifact of power <sighs> and give it to them as well. This general can have two artifacts of power. Both artifacts of power must be different. Oh, obviously. Oh, that's really bad, right? Mm, yeah. Now, the artifacts of power that you get in yours for being a Taker tribe. Uh, yeah. <laughs> very good. But there's a lot of artifacts of power, you know, in the game. So yes. So that's, that's the redeeming factor. Thankfully. Yes. yes. Ghoulie Lantern, in your hero phase, the bear can attempt to cast one spell that summons an endless spell in the same manner as a wizard. When they do so, the range of that spell is doubled. And the Walloping Tentacle, at the start of the combat phase, pick one enemy hero within three inches of the bear and roll a dice. On a four-up, that unit suffers D3 mortal wounds, and the strike last effect applies to that hero until the end of that phase. Uh, okay. Yeah, it's fine. Kraken Eaters aren't your damage dealers. It makes them kind of a tall order, because when you're talking about points, they're 490. Yep. And... I think when we get to the Gatebreaker, you're going to see that that's where the money is. Yeah, and, you know, again, the fact that they can take two artifacts, there are some pretty, we talked about them, pretty decent general universal artifacts in this book that a Kraken Eater could take. Just not the hero that you necessarily want two artifacts on. No, 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 absolutely. Here's to five miserable months on the wagon and all the irreparable harm that it's caused me. Now, the Gatebreaker is the one I've actually built and mm-hmm. used with my Night Haunt last year. Same as same move, same wounds, same save, same bravery. Does have a ranged attack, and it's 18 inches, one attack, three by twos, minus three, four damage. And then the Almighty Stomp and the Death Grip are the same as others. It does have the Fort Crusher Flail, though, and this is what's unique. It has a range of three inches. Attacks go from six down to three. Four by threes, minus three. Five, four damage. I want to say five. You can get it to five. Yeah. Almighty stops the same. Crushing charge. Death grip. All the same. Long shanks. Pulverizing strike is unique. When this unit fights, you can say that it will leash a pulverizing strike. If you do so, instead of making attacks with this unit's melee weapons, pick one enemy unit within three inches of this unit and roll a dice on a four up. That unit suffers 46 mortal wounds. Well, okay. Yeah. Eh, that's another one of those swing for the... You are foregoing all of your melee attacks <laughs> yeah. for this. I mean, the reason I think you would do this is if you were tabled way down and you had only like three Fort Crusher flail attacks or four maybe or whatever else it You're is. Playing something that's reducing your damage, the number yeah. of attacks, hitting is going to be a very difficult prospect. Yeah. This is just a coin flip and, you know. Yeah. Get out of jail. I mean, it's nice because you don't have to roll the hit. You don't have to roll the wound. You don't have to do anything. Just four up. Boom. 46. Nice. And it's mortal wounds, Mm -hmm. which is even better. Smash down. Add one to the damage characteristics of this unit's Fort Crush a Flail for attacks that target an enemy unit in cover or garrison or terrain feature. In addition, you can carry out the Smash to Rubble Monstrous Rage with this unit. Or when you do, roll a dice for each enemy unit within three inches of the terrain feature. Picked on a two-up, that unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. Okay, good stuff. And then the rest of the rules are the same. Son of Bayomet, Terror, and Timber. Your mercenary Gargant rule is Big Drog, the Fort mm-hmm. Kickadan. Yeah, this is okay. At the end of the combat phase, you can pick one enemy unit within three inches and roll a 
Number of dice equal to the number of models within three. For each six, the enemy unit suffers one mortal wound. Okay, it's all right. I don't think it's as good as some of the other ones. No, it's really not. Definitely not. And then we have, of course, our... Breaker Tribe. Yes, and we're going to go to the Breaker Tribe page. (laughs) All right. Breaking down the houses, add one to the damage inflicted by each successful attack made by a man crush a gargant, little guys, till then... And when I say little guys, obviously that's... Relative. Relative, yeah. That targets an enemy model that is part of a garrison or wholly within or a wholly on a terrain feature. So that could be useful, I suppose. It's kind of niche, but yes. Yeah, it could be useful. Ramming speed. You can use this command ability at the start of your charge phase. The command can only be issued by your general, and the unit that receives that command must be Man Crusher Gargans. Until the end of that phase, you can attempt a charge with the unit that received the command. If it is within 18, roll 3d6 instead of 2d6. Again, that's useful, especially if you're not taking Kragnos. Mm-hmm. Very useful. And it's a command ability. So, Fierce Loathings. When you pick a Breaker Tribe army, you can pick one of the Fierce Loathings below recorded on your army roster. The rule for that Fierce Loathing applies to Gatebreaker and Man Crusher Gargants. So we have Bossy Boots and Clever Clogs. Add one to hit rolls for attacks made by this unit that target enemy heroes or wizards. Idiots with Flags. That's such a great name. Add one to hit rolls for attacks made by this unit that target enemy totems. Wannabes. Add one to hit rolls for attacks made by this unit that target enemy war machines or monsters okay i wouldn't want to see this coming with me with my uh uh, ent list no for sure this would not be fun and then we have some command traits brendan Mm -hmm. we have artifacts what do you think about these command traits i think there's only one that's worth your time Mm -hmm. extremely bitter yep you pick a second fierce loathing that applies only to your general Okay. You take bossy boots and clever clogs and idiots with flags, and that, that'll cover pretty much Everybody. everything. Yep. You're probably starting with idiots with flags for the whole of the army. Mm-hmm. It's most things that are heroes, in many instances, are also monsters. So Titanic Duel is something that's on the table. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, that's where else you would spend the all-out attack. Sure. As far as the artifacts go, I like both of them. Mm-hmm. The Great Rekka, the unmodified hit roll for an attack made with the flail as a six. It's D3 mortal wounds the target in addition to any damage it inflicts. Not bad. On average, you're going to get one of those every time you swing. Mm-hmm. And then the Kingslayer Cowl, add one to wound rolls for attacks made by the bear that target an enemy hero. The reality is, though, you can just improve that outright by taking the Vial of Manticore Venom and mm. giving that to your Fort Crusher Flail so you're a two-up to wound all sure. the time. Yep. That's the way to go. So those are the tribes, and we have two War Scrolls left to talk about. We've yep. got the Man Crusher Gargant and the Man Crusher Mob. <laughs> Lots of man crushes and one man crusher. Yeah. So man crusher mob are three units of man crusher gargants. Talk about the mob and basically tell you all the rules that are on it that aren't on the man crusher gargant. Yeah. So the man crusher mob is an eight inch move, five up save, bravery seven, 12 wounds. They've got thrown rocks, 18 inches attack, 18 inch range, one attack each, fours by threes, ren one damage D3. Massive club, two inch range, four attacks, threes by threes, ren one damage two. Edbutt, two inch range, one attack, fours by threes, ren three, damage four. Oh, sorry, headbutt is damage four down to one. Mm-hmm. The mighty kick, two inch range, one attack, threes by threes, ren two, damage d3. Mm-hmm. One of them gets to be the champion. You add one to the attacks characteristics of their massive club. Good. The monstrous regiment, only the bull stomper, which is the, the champion, can carry out a monstrous rampage each turn. So if you get rid of the bull stomper, then 
you're done. Keep up, which is shared across yeah. the War Scrolls. Yeah. The unit is wholly within 15 inches of a friendly Mega Gargant at the start of the charge phase. It can attempt to charge in the charge phase, even if it made a run move in the same turn. Run and charge for giants is a good thing. Not bad. Stomping charge, the same across. After a model in this unit makes a charge move, pick one enemy unit within one inch and roll a dice. If the roll is equal to or greater than the stomping charge, starts at a 2-up, goes to a 5-up. For the charging model shown on this unit's damage table, that enemy unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. If you use more than one model, do not allocate the mortal wound until all of the models have made their charge moves. So sure. you get three cracks added in the mob, or however many have been killed. Mm-hmm. Stuff them in my bag. After the model in this unit makes a pylon move, pick one enemy model within three inches and roll a dice. If the roll is at least double the model's wounds characteristic, it is slain. Again, solid multiplicative when you're talking about the mob. Mm-hmm. Timber, if a model in this unit is slain before removing it, pick a point three inches on the battlefield. Each unit within two inches of that point that is not a Gargant or a Mega Gargant suffers D3 mortal wounds. The slain model is then removed from the battlefield. It's just a tiny version of the one mm-hmm. for the big guys. And then the last rule that is unique to Man Crusher mobs is who's under the eel now? If you carry out the Stomp Monstrous Rampage with the unit's Bull Stomper and roll a 2-plus for each other Man Crusher Gargant model in this unit, add 1 to the number of mortal wounds caused. That's good. Yeah, sure. D3 plus 2. What? Yeah. Yeah. You know, okay. the synergies are all built around the specific 1 that is taken, and then these all benefit from it. The Man Crusher mobs in the Smasher Tribe are very interesting, right, as we yep. talked about, where you can just swing for the fences on your lower-cost unit, really look for the upside. If you were to take Broad, you can get the Massive Club up to Ren 2 with Whoa. the Prayer. Yep. Becomes a much more reliable prospect. It's interesting, right? You are limited, right? Because man crushers are 150. The mob is 450. There's no cost saving by doing right. that. You know, you just get to... <laughs> get a couple extra rules is what you get. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. There's pretty limited mixing and matching in this. Your beast smashers are 520. Your gatebreakers are 520. Broad is 580. Kraken eaters 490. War Stompers 450. And Kragnos is 720. You're only looking at a handful of models, as you should with giants, but the variation between what you take is going to be pretty limited. The last thing we've got to talk about here... Are our strategies, tactics, and battalions. Mm-hmm. So strats. Mm-hmm. So we have Broad's Revenge is the first strategy. You can only pick this strategy if your army includes King Broad. Well, yeah, that makes sense. When the battle ends, you complete this grand strategy if the friendly King Broad has not been slain and you picked each of the other three effects. Oh, so if you basically, if you picked all of the effects on the power of Bayment Prayer. You have to have successfully prayed at least three times and taken each one once. Okay. I think that's doable against a lot of armies unless people are targeting him, obviously. It's three ups. Yeah. You could fail a couple of them and... All of a sudden... Or he's dead. You get to battle round four. Your opponent goes first. You've successfully prayed twice. You failed the other one. And you die before your turn comes yep. up. Yep, and then your grand strategy's gone. That's a sure. tough one. Yep. How about the next one? Make the land tremble. When the battle ends, you complete this grand strategy. If any friendly units ran or made a charge move in every battle round, it does not have to be the same unit that runs or makes a charge move in every battle round. It seems very doable. It's so easy. <laughs> yeah. It's like, like, really? It's not necessarily... Like the Daughters of Cain level of but easy. Because it, it's run or charge. Mm-hmm. Like, really? So all I got to do is run one unit, If right? you get tied up for one battle round, 
you fail. And Brendan, it could be anything. It could be your, let's see, it could be some man crushes could just run. Yes. Or just one man crush could just run every turn to get your strategy when you think about it. In my game three yesterday, if this is what my opponent had taken, I could have forced him to fail it by giving him the double turn at one mm. point and everybody was in combat. When you retreat, you can't run. And when you're in combat, you can't charge. Correct. Yeah. It's not Daughters of Cain level stupid where you have to either fight or die at some yeah. point during the game. Mm-hmm. It's not guaranteed, however... Pretty reliable. You yeah. can definitely get there. Uh, the next one is on the warpath. When the battle ends, you complete this grand strategy as every friendly unit on the battlefield is within enemy territory. It's where you want to be. Yep. It's not impossible, but not guaranteed. Right. Last one, show them who's boss at the start of the battle. The enemy unit with the highest wounds characteristic is marked as the biggin. There are multiple enemy units tied for the highest wound characteristic. You can pick which of these will be the biggin. When the battle ends, you complete this grand strategy if the biggin has been slain and that model shoot has chosen to be your general has not been slain. Okay. Yeah, yeah it's doable. Manageable. Yeah. yeah. How about these tactics? Yeah, some of these are solid. That's mine. Pick one objective on the battlefield that is not within your territory. You complete this tactic if that objective was kicked away and is wholly within your territory at the end of this turn. Um, you need a Kraken Eater for that one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the next one's Wrecking Crew. You complete this tactic if an enemy faction terrain feature was demolished during this turn. Seems pretty easy to me. Yeah. If you have a giant's army. Well, I mean, it still is a dice roll, right? You know, your opponent has to have faction terrain. Yeah, that's the ticket. Mm-hmm. Yep. Thank you. It's not guaranteed, but it's far from impossible. Man Skittles. <laughs> you great. complete this tactic at the end of this turn if a friendly <laughs> war stomper used its hurl body ability. An enemy model was slain by the first part of the ability, and an enemy battle line unit was picked for the second part of the ability and suffered any mortal wounds. Very manageable. Yep. Assuming, right, that <laughs> the units that you can select. So, like, it would have been impossible in the game I was playing because there's nothing that you could have picked to throw. You have to be double the wounds characteristic, and my lowest wound count model was a Gorger at five. Well, and again, you have to have a War Stomper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so again, it's and, and giant I think, dependent. I think pretty much everyone's going to have a War Stomper because it's the cheaper one. It's middle of the ground, it's middle of the road in terms of damage. You can kind of wedge it into the list, yeah. Much more easily than you can some of the other sure. ones. Okay, Fury of the Titans. You complete this tactic if you carry out the Beast Grapple, Earth Shaking Roar, and colossal slam monstrous rampages this turn you got to do all three of your unique ones in one turn this is very tough to do because you're looking at three unique independent dice rolls one of which is a 2d6 against bravery all those require you to be in contact with your enemy Mm -hmm. so you have to be in some kind of combat in order to be able to do those which you want to be so this requires you to have three mega gargants alive at the moment that you're going to do this and be successful at all of them. There's still dice rolls involved. Mm-hmm. I think most of them are three ups, right? Yeah, so I mean, I've seen plenty of people who are rolling monstrous rampages or whatever and they roll ones or twos. So if you do that, you, if you try to get all three and you roll a one or a two on any of them. Now, it doesn't say successfully carry out because when you carry uh, out a monstrous that's rampage. True, yes. Okay, got it. It just means you did it. But if I'm playing something like Ogre Maw Tribes, where none of my stuff is wounds characteristic of one or two, mm-hmm. or if I'm playing Maniac Boar Boys, where everything is wounds characteristic three, you, then you, you can't do this one. There's no target for the earth-shaking roar. Sure. Splat, pick one enemy hero. You complete this tactic if that hero is slain by wounds caused by an attack made with the thrown rocks, hurled debris, or hurled boulder during this turn. Mm-hmm. That one's very doable, especially built depending on your list construction. Sure. 
And then the last one's Colossal Violence. Pick one friendly Mega Gargant. You complete this tactic if you carried out the Titanic Duel Monsters Rampage with that unit during this turn, and the enemy monster picked as a target was slain by attacks made by that unit during this turn. Okay. Love it. Yeah, it's fine. Good one it's to have. Fine. The two battalions are going to be very familiar to anybody who saw the original White Dwarf. First is Boss of the Stomp. Two mandatory Mega Gargants. You can either be Unified or Magnificent. Mm-hmm. And Footslagas, two mandatory Man Crushers, optional Mega Gargant, optional Man Crusher, can either be Unified or Swift. If you're playing four Mega Gargants, I don't know why you wouldn't just take two Boss of the Stomp, get all the extra mm-hmm. artifacts, be a three artifact list. Yep. I guess you could make it a, a one drop and do that, but I don't super see the value there. And you're only going to be taking four models, five models anyway, if you're not taking Man Crushes. Right. So, yeah, all good stuff. So, Dan... What are your thoughts on this new book? I like it. I like changes. One of the things I think is interesting about this is if I have monsters in my list, there's some stuff I don't want to see across the table from me in this book. There's stuff that's really, really scary. And a lot of this stuff is monster hunting focused. So if I see a giant's list coming and I've got monsters in my list, I'm like, okay, man. (laughs) I think the one issue still is in terms of mobility and objective control. I think that's an issue that a lot of people can get around who have it's been figured out. Yeah, yeah. Have mobility or they have teleportability or whatever else it is. And in the Galatian veterans era, which isn't going to last much longer and we don't know what's coming next, but the chances are that's not going to be there anymore. You can't compensate for those large numbers that the giants give you in terms of objective holding with bodies. You know, you can't take a unit, let's say of 10 that count as 30 and overcome a giant because you could you do can that right? now you, you won't be able to is what i'm saying in Past, the future yeah. right you know looking into the future you have to think about how you're going to deal with these guys without that advantage of the three to one model count overall i think it's cool if you have a giant's army and you want to play giants i think it's a great update what do you think i think it's a step backwards in terms of the power level okay which is not a bad thing this is going to be a very similar conversation to what we talked about with Lumineth, where Lumineth took a step backwards from an overall power standpoint in terms of the feel-bads component of it. The change to Mightier Makes Rightier is a fundamentally good change. The changes to the yes. tribes, where they specifically impact the variety of Mega Gargant and Man Crushers specifically, sure. it was a very good change. Yep. Right, The Taker tribe before where everybody counted as 30 all the way through was exceptionally dumb. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The changes are good. They're wholesale good for Mm -hmm. the game. I really liked what we see in this. The only tribe that I think really isn't worth your time is the Taker tribe right now. Mm -hmm. Really like the Smasher tribe. Really like the Breaker tribe. I think the Stomper tribe can be built around. The Kraken Eater is paying for its sins on its first go around. Yes. And Broad is also probably a few too many points. I really like Broad. I got to play against Broad. I recognized the threat of Broad immediately and said, can't deal with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's got to be more, but 580 just doesn't feel right. Okay. 40 wounds is nice, but the whole army is a four-up save across the board. Kragnos is the ultimate giant killer. Maybe that's the advantage it gave me. Maybe I'd feel very differently playing against it with, like, for instance, my battle cattle. But most of their stuff is Ren 2. Mm -hmm. If he gets the prayer off to make it Ren 3, it's a different game. But for the most part, I think what we're going to see is, and foreshadowing a little bit into the Ogre's book, this Rend arms race 
is going to mm. force Nighthaunt to reappear in a competitive environment. Not that they really went away, but they're going to find a target-rich environment where your opponents are paying for huge amounts of rend in this <laughs> cold war. That you uh, absolutely care nothing about. Absolutely none. Yeah. And you actually, as Nighthaunt, have access to the most amount of rend of anybody. Sure. Now, it's in the slot machine, but mm-hmm. uh, a lot of your stuff has built in Rend 1. You know, you're taking Purple Sun even... I'm taking Purple Sun at 200 points as a mm-hmm. Nighthawk player. Sure. Because I suffer no penalties and it only does me good. You're mm-hmm. sitting out there at Rend 2 effectively. You're potentially getting more out of the casino and you don't care about what all this other stuff is doing. Mm-hmm. If battle cattle become prevalent, Broad is going to very much show up in lots of these Bayomet lists to bring everything up to Ren 3 on a consistent basis to overcome that Yometrica ability. But yeah, the same inherent problems with winning games with Sons of Bayomet exist, right? You pointed mm-hmm. it out, it's very difficult to play wide. A player who can play fast and at the edges is going to be very successful against mm-hmm. Giants, regardless of how much damage they can do. Sure. And I think, to your point, it's a good balance, this book is, that they pulled back a little bit in terms of the book itself. But that's an overall good thing for the game. Yeah. And so... These are probably going to land right where Games Workshop wants it in that 45 to 55 win percentage. I quite enjoyed seeing what the new book was yesterday. It feels like Giants. It feels like Giants should. You know, them coming down on their power level, you know, in the middle of the game was a nice change, right? Yeah, right. You know, I wasn't going to have to get through, oh, it's 80 wounds on this objective until there's, you know, one fewer Mega Gargants. (laughs) Right. Now it's only 60. (laughs) They still gain a sizable advantage, right? The bottom of their table is still more models than, oh. than anything else that you can take. Yep. I think they hit a real sweet spot with it. Great. Well, thank you. So that's it, listeners, for Sons of Bayamit. And again, if you have any comments or whatever else, send something to Brendan at hobby underscore bear or me at Stormcaller Dan on Twitter and let us know or emails, whatever works for you. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, Brendan, we are done with Emperor Lies and we're going to move on to the back end of the show with Scriptorium. Etc., etc., etc. All right, new releases. There's quite a bit of stuff. There's a lot of anthologies and stuff. The first book that is new is called Witchbringer. It is about a sanctioned psyker. It's 40K book who is part of the Imperial Army. The next book, uh, next two books are actually books that have been around for a while, but they finally come out in audio. The first one is Katie and Blood. They're both 40K books. Well, actually, one of the first one, Katie and Blood, is 40K. It is Katie's trying to take a planet back from Nurgle. Very, very interesting. And again, it is an audio book. The next one is Battle of the Fang. And this is Magnus's first attempt to wipe out the Space Wolves on Fenris. This actually happens in the 32nd millennium. So this is happening 2,000 years after the Heresy. So it's not quite 40K. Really, really cool because basically what you get is you get this classic monster dreadnought from the Fang that comes out to face off against Magnus. It's a really cool story. And so that might be of interest to some folks, but they're both on audio now. The other thing in 40K is we have uh, Dered Gabo. He comes back, gets his another book, which is really, really cool. And then we have three anthologies. They're actually, in this order, they are Sigmar, 40K, and then Indominus era. So we have Conquest Unbound for Sigmar. We have Imperium's Finest for 40k. And then we have Only War for the new stuff in 40k. And then the final book is actually the third book in the Old World End Days series. It's called Curse of Cain. And it's Malekith. Pretty cool story. And if you're interested in 
Daughters of Cain kind of stuff or anything with Dark Elves, this book, it's an audio book I think would be of great interest to a lot of people. That's where we are with new stuff. Bunch of it dropping. Uh, how about you? More than usual. Cool. So I got the Primark book on audiobook, uh, The Conrad Kurz. So I'm about halfway through that. Nice. You enjoying it? Yeah, it's been good. I got a audiobook called Zero Fail. This is a book detailing the history and failures uh, within the Secret Service and you know, the evolution as such. Oh, cool. It's like 20 hours. You know, it opens with a little bit of backstory in terms of you know how the Secret Service was originally formed. Okay. And I've gotten through the very first part, you know, the first couple chapters, where it goes through leading up to Kennedy's assassination and the immediate aftermath. Obviously, that's a significant part of <laughs> you know the history of the Secret Service because that was the first time a president had been killed under the guardianship of the Secret Service in the modern understanding that we have of it. They existed before that. Mm. But their role was fundamentally different prior to that. I'm just getting to the part where, shortly thereafter, right, where you have the assassination of Bobby Kennedy. Mm-hmm. Lyndon B. Johnson says everyone who is you know, a major presidential candidate gets Secret Service agents. Absolutely. We're just getting up to the part of the assassination attempt on Alabama Governor George Wallace. And they mm. really step through all the details of... The mistakes that were made, you know, the lapses in judgment, not just from the Secret Service, but also from the support function from the federal government. That's this would be fascinating. I mean, I I live. You would really like this book. I would. Zero fail, right? Yep. Yeah, I mean, I think about the fact that I lived through, you know, all those things, but I also lived through Reagan's assassination, which was huge, or attempted assassination. Mm -hmm. And I remember all the repercussions from that. So, yeah, it sounds like a fascinating book. Yeah. Zero fail. The author did a really good job in terms of primary sources, interviews. They are a lot of Secret Service past and present who spoke under anonymity for of course. a lot of very reasonable choices. <laughs> Some of them, it sounds like, were, you know, I haven't gotten to the part where it becomes an active conversation as opposed to mm-hmm. in, a, in a historical event, right? You had the full commission, you know, going through what happened for the Kennedy assassination. That's well documented. Mm. Oh, yeah. But, you know, she interviewed people that were party to that. Sure. Super cool. I watched The Last Duel last weekend. I know you watched it. Super weird movie. Yeah, Um, it really was. I really like the premise, right, where it's a story. It's the same story told from three different perspectives, dealing with some adult subject matter. The part of the story where the perspective of that person should be exculpatory really wasn't. And I think to me, as I was watching, I was like, what's the point of this movie? Because... If this is his side of the story that he's telling, he's like, he's guilty. I I think one of the hardest things when I watched it was it took a while when they shifted perspectives for you to kind of get oriented. It's like you've been teleported into some place you hadn't been before and you were like, okay, let me get my bearings here. You kind of wanted to do that when they switched. But once you did that, then it was fine. I really liked the minor shift in details from same events between two people and the couple of events where it was the where all three of them were present for it, I really mm-hmm. liked that. I really liked the minor changes. I thought it was a very interesting idea and way to tell a story. Mm-hmm. It was executed really bizarrely. Yes, it was uh, a bit strange. But good. I'm glad you at least enjoyed the. Yeah. Was experience. I entertained? Yes. Okay. Would I recommend it strongly to somebody? <laughs> Absolutely not. If yeah. you were bored, I'd say go for it. It's yeah. two and a half hours. Okay. It's fine. <laughs> All right. That's what I got. All right. I was reading Valpone Glory. I talked about it 
before. It kind of went back on the shelf. I just lost interest in it because there was just this recurring theme of the arrogance and abuse of the lower ranks by the, you know, kind of military aristocracy. And it just kept occurring and reoccurring and stuff. And my own experience kind of bled in a little bit. I'm like, I'm just tired of hearing about this. It just kept coming back in the story. And I'm sure that was the author's intention, but it's like it took so much away from what was going on in the story otherwise that I just was like, yeah, I'm done. It's fine. I gave it a shot. But I did pick up in its place Calgar's Fury, which is an older book, but it's about a space hulk that comes into Ultramar's space. Marnius Calgar is the kind of the chapter master at the time. So far, it's been really, really interesting. There's some characters from some audiobooks that I'm picking up. Like there's a Captain Galenus. He was in a Tarias Tellian book. And I'm like, oh, that Captain Galenus, the guy was a jerk. Well, this is him, you know? And so that's kind of fun. But it's a Dead Tree book. It's 40K. It's cool. I listened to Scourge of Fate. Brendan, you have to listen to this book. Okay. It is freaking Amazing. Um, it is right about a Chaos Knight Warlord who is trying to ascend to the Varengard. So just that in itself should be motivation that yeah. you would enjoy it. And his mount is like a Chaos Horse. It's not... I thought you were going to say like a My Little Pony. No, no. I thought at first when he was describing it, it was like a Cracker Jack or something. But then you can tell that it's some kind of... And there's that model that came out with the Chaos... Yeah, one heck of a crossover. Yeah, right? I think you will really, really enjoy it. And anybody who's into Slaves to Darkness would very much enjoy this book. Really enjoy it. So I just downloaded it. Yes. It's on the list. You can let me know. I've obviously got some other books I have to finish, you know, in the way, but it's in the Black Mirror device. Awesomeness. Okay. The next movie I watched, it's a very old anime called Vampire Hunter D, and it was based on some books. The style is very much like Cowboy Bebop in terms of the fact that there are a lot of angles and a lot of sharp edges to the art as it's going through. There's a lot of dead time in it where you just see the wind blowing grass or you see other things happening that aren't active, like there isn't all kinds of stuff going on. But it's interesting. And again, it's kind of like with you, the movie recommendation. I wouldn't recommend this to everybody, but if you're into anime, I think this would be a nice kind of side trip for you in terms of a different style. The last thing I watched, and I'm so glad I did, was All Quiet on the Western Front, the newest thing that has come out. I heard it's very good. It is brutal. It is absolutely horrific, but you understand why the guy who wrote the book, and I originally read the book years and years ago. I watched the black and white version, and then it's German, so it's subtitles. But man, oh man, if you can understand why Hitler banned this book, because it is one of the ultimate anti-war stories that you could ever have read or seen. Oh my gosh, the transition for the one main character and his friends from the beginning to this really dark ending. Oh man, you're just sitting there going, my God, people... And you you have to think about the fact that people actually experience something like this. Hundreds of thousands, if not millions Millions of of men who fought in this war experienced exactly what these people are experiencing. And you're going... That's just horrible. It shaped Europe. A meaningful percentage of the men who returned home and served as the as a meaningful percentage of the population of most of Europe saw this. It was so good. It's very brutal, like I said, and it probably isn't for everybody to watch. You'll know pretty quickly whether or not you want to watch the rest of it or not. Once it gets going, 
pretty good stuff in terms of realistic portrayal. So very, very good. Highly recommend it. All right, man, that's it for Scriptorium. Let's get on to this or that. Who's going first today? I'll go first. Okay. We've had a couple of new 40K boxes that are pretty interesting. Would you rather pick up the Votan box or the Cadian box, Dan? Oh, Votan. Yeah? I think it's just the models and the rules notwithstanding. I just think the models are so right, cool we're, and we're unique. We're both not 40K players at this no. point, so it's, it's <laughs> a matter of, like, coolness. Yeah, and I think the, the Space Dwarves just look cool. Yeah. How about you? What would you do you think you would do? Uh, I mean, I have a guard army that I love to death. Those field ordnance yeah. cannons. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, please. Those look so cool, the, yep. The rocket launcher one is a little wonky to me, but like the one that is just a full-on field gun yeah. is like, <laughs> that is cool. You know, and it's funny, you're thinking, that's the 40th millennium, and that gun looks like that. Mm. You're going, really? Oh, <laughs> Gorn battle tank? Yeah. yeah some good so stuff. So cool. Questions related to, you know, the actual show that we just did. Kragnos or Broad? Those are the kind of universal ones that you can build your army around very differently. Mm-hmm. What do you take in? I would like to play Kragnos at some point in my life. Okay. Just to know what it's like to just smash things and just crush things, you know? Like, just point him and go. Every time I rolled the Dread Mace, I heard Nick laughing in the back of my head, you know? <laughs> yes. Just like, woo! You know? <laughs> yeah, definitely I would like to give him a try. Mm-hmm. This is a fun one. Favorite tribe out of the four that we uh, we just saw? Uh, man, I kind of like the one, what is it, the one with uh, that really s- pumps up the man crushes? Is that the Smasher tribe? The one where you can trade the club attacks for the 46 yeah. damage version? I like that. like the fact that you could take a mini Gargant list and it would really enhance everything in that list. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's the one I like the best. Two of my friends recently have picked up making pasta. One has learned to make ravioli. The other has learned to make gnocchi. Which of the two would you learn to make? We just went out to pasta. I think probably ravioli. Okay. Because there's so many options of what you can put inside the ravioli. You know, different kinds of meat, different kinds of cheese, all that kind of stuff. So I think that'd be cool. Okay. My last question, Dan, you very recently celebrated a birthday. Yeah, very recently. Um, (laughs) What is the best way to spend a birthday, Dan? The way that I did with somebody I care about very much and just have a nice day and a nice dinner. Just relax. The other thing is there are a lot of things to say positive or negative about social media, but it's so nice that you get so many... Well wishes. Yeah, just birthday wishes from people you hadn't heard from in a while or whatever else. And that's just a nice feeling because it kind of trickles in during the day. It's not all at once. So that's really cool, too, that know that that people are thinking about you and stuff. And so I think that's the way I, I did spend my birthday. So it was a nice day. Well, those are my five. All right. First question. Okay. A giant's list. Kragnos or no Kragnos? And a giant's is probably no Kragnos. Okay. It's just too many points as you try and build around it. Like, you probably go Kragnos and two breakers and then a stomper, which is not bad, right? Mm-hmm. You're, oh, yeah. You still got four big guys. Yeah. You're uh, a man crusher. You'd have three big guys. You'd have Kragnos, well, the two big guys. is a big guy, yeah. And, okay. And the man crusher. I don't know that the points shake out exactly the right way with that, but it's close. Okay. Obviously, in that case, you take Breaker Tribe. You get lots of plus ones to hit in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're going to hit like a freight train and hope that it's good enough. Yeah. Beast Smasher or Gatebreaker? Hmm. I think in most lists, I think you're going to want the Gatebreaker. I think there is merit to building around the Beast Smasher, though. Gatebreaker for the universal pick. Okay, cool. 
And I asked you this question before the show, but I'm going to ask it again because it's written down. So if I have to choose in my Sylvanith list to take either six Seekers, who are the guys who heal and, you know, that kind of thing, the the dragonflies, six of those, or a Tree Lord Ancient and a unit of Tree Revs, that's the other choice. Ancient and Tree Revs or six Seekers. What do you think you would take in a, a list that you took to a competitive event? Probably the Ancients and the Revs. A unit of six Seekers I don't think does very much. Okay. And you get the most benefit when they are units of three. The units of six are the Lancers that you want to be taking. Sure. Okay. They do these strikes first, and then you can fade, and then you can pick another unit as well. Or they can stay, and then the other unit can fade. Your sequencing gets to be changed up. The Revenant Seekers are more of a support piece. Okay. And not as know. good. Okay. Before a meal, soup or salad? It really depends on what both of them are. I'm very picky in terms of the soups I like, and I'm even more picky on the kinds of salads I like. <laughs> not a big, like, dressing guy on the salads. I need, like, other things in the salad as well. Sure. Like, if it's just lettuce, like, don't even bother. <laughs> I am more likely to like the soup than I am the salad. Okay. I'm very picky around those things. So that's before dinner. Mm -hmm. So after dinner, a piece of pie or a piece of cake? Again, (laughs) what does cheesecake fall under? (laughs) That's that's cake. Okay, then cake. Okay. All right, cool. That's my five, man. Okay. All right, moving on. Show close No sports questions. Good Lord. Who am I? (laughs) Yeah, who are we both, man? That was weird. There is something going on around here. Something you may not even know about. Any Sunday announcements, my friend? Okay, so Sunday announcements, not really anything new. Okay. But in pairing with the Slaves to Darkness, there is a made-to-order order that you can get in Ooh. for an Archeon on horse. Oh, my. The Archeon? Corn- mm-hmm, on horse. Oh, must be a big horse. <laughs> it's old Archeon. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, it's oh, old yeah, Drogar. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. You have a marked Corn Chaos Lord, a marked Nurgle Chaos Lord, the Slanesh Lord, the Zinch Lord with the Familiar, the Mounted mm-hmm. Sorcerer Lord. Man, these bring me back. Wow. That's what's up for it. Those are all made to order. Those are all made to order, so you're okay. limited time to be ordering them. Mm-hmm. I believe these are all in metal, so so buckle up with that. That's you know quite the experience. And then the U.S. Open 2022 final is going to be occurring this week. So that's, mm-hmm. that's fun. That's exciting. Starts on Friday. And then some Black Library stuff. So nothing real cool. too crazy, but if there's some old Chaos Heroes that you want to get your hands on, now is the time. Q&A, you have anything? I do not. Because I have one really interesting question. I have three, but I'm going to read this. You're going to save some? Yeah. There's a listener named Sam, and he said, Dan, could you explain to me the difference between an audio drama and an audio book? Well, it's a really interesting question. And and actually, they're all audio books when you think about it. But the ah, difference this is a square rectangle conversation, is, right? Because really, what you have is you have audio dramas and audio novels. And so, an audio novel is usually an unabridged version where the narrator is literally reading the book word for word, and you have no sound effects. You have a little bit of emotiveness from the reader, but not a whole lot because they can't really express that when they're reading because the writing in the story expresses a lot of the emotion and a lot of the action that's going on. Usually, audiobooks run from eight to 12 hours. They could be longer, they could be a little shorter. Audio dramas are 
relatively short. They go for about an hour plus or minus, and they are absolutely full of sound effects. And when the voice actors are doing their stuff, they are expressing emotions of all kinds. They're scared. They're, you know, screaming as they charge into an attack or they do whatever. So it's much more, I guess, immersive in terms of what you're listening to. I love audio dramas. I really do. My first experience with audiobooks was audio dramas. The three that I've mentioned before, but since you asked the question, I'm going to mention again, Heart of Rage is by far my favorite. It's a Blood Angel story. Another one that I really like is Eye of Vengeance, which is a book about an ultramarine's scout sergeant, very famous one named Tarias Tellian. Mm-hmm. And then there's one called The Enemy You Know. And it's a Caiaphas Kane book where he gets to some Dark Eldar stuff. Um, both, all of them run about an hour plus or minus. And again, the sound effects that you get and everything else that come with audio dramas, very, very cool. I would recommend both. I think audio dramas are more if you have a short drive that you want something to listen to. I think audio novels really are more if you're sitting down to hobby. You know, like the one Brendan and I just recommended to you, The Scourge of Fate. That was like eight 10 hours, something like that. So that's something I listened to as I was hobbying. I hope that answers your question, Sam. And that's, to me, the essential difference between the two. Moving on, episode 111, Ogre Maw Tribes. Sir. It's time to talk about the new and improved ogres. Well, we'll see when we talk about the book. (laughs) I certainly think that they are improved. (laughs) Okay. You've seen the book, and I know you are very excited about this one, Brendan, because this is one of your favorite armies. Yeah. Beast Claw Raiders is my cure-all for anybody who's feeling a little bit down on Warhammer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, send you to a tournament with 18 dice, you're good to go. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, here's your four War Scroll cards. Go nuts, man. <laughs> Great stuff. We'll talk about it more in the episode. There's some meaningful changes to some units that weren't taken really in line with a lot of what we've seen in 3.0 Battle Tomes, where... Nearly everything becomes viable. Nearly mm. everything becomes a meaningful choice that you can make. You know, just like usual, there's going to be a couple War Scrolls that land a little flat. But overall, I would say that it's a net improvement Great. on where the book was. Sounds good. Looking forward to it. All right, that's it then. Thank you, as always, my friend, for coming along for the ride. Absolutely. And thank you, listeners, for being here, as always. And we really appreciate your tuning in and making us part of your day. Otherwise, uh, you all take care, stay safe, and don't forget shenanigans, because life is better when you're up to something. <laughs>